And this is the Hagman Report for today. It is Wednesday, February 20th, 2019, as you can see. In case you missed last night's broadcast, or uh, yeah, basically in case you missed last night's broadcast, uh, we are broadcasting from our offices as we uh, do some uh, upgrades and uh, technical upgrades, not necessarily cosmetic, although that, that will come, but technical upgrades to our studio. And that's because we are growing, and we want to thank you for that. Thank you so much for your support. Um, we uh, we ex- we are working uh, deals for syndication. I don't want to get too too down that too far down that road. Um, in March, mid March, roughly. Uh, so by uh, oh, I'm going to say the the second week of March because we do have a conference the first week, or right around the fifth in. Uh, Marshfield, Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin Christian News, which we're going to be talking more about that later. Um, but uh, it'll be after that, and then you're going to see uh, some changes. And, and we had talked to, uh, about the changes with uh, the our Patreon supporters who uh, and our, during our last um, uh, Patreon meeting. So, uh, so this we're coming to you from our cozy little office space here at the Hagman Studios, where about 50 feet directly in front of me is the um, is the actual studio itself and this is a branch off or a, a yeah, I guess an annex, if you will, uh, where our offices are actually located. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of different, and uh, we welcome you into our offices as well as opposed to our studio. So it's, it's it is cozy. Well. It it's is. smaller. Um, yeah. It's a little awkward because, as you said, the rearranging. There's it's not only just the office, but there's all the extra stuff that goes with the uh, moving stuff around. So and, and, you know, but I, I, I we have the think, space, we have the equipment, and it, we have Eric. It, well, and that's the thing. I, I, here's here's the thing. Um, I really want to thank Tech Eric at Real Tech Eric on on Twitter. Tech Eric is probably one of the most talented individuals I've ever seen. Um, I, I've never seen so many cables in in boxes of knobs and dials and pretty lights. It's all noodles to me, but um, he's done a very very nice job in, into really uh, <laughs> uh, setting things up on a shoestring budget. And um, we could have a year because, all the instruction manuals. No, there's, and then we would still no, wouldn't get it done. It's it's his 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 area is like a. Um, a like the cockpit of a 747, and I know that might be hyperbole, but but you Not get the really. idea. Anyway, um, a, a number of things. You know, the the right, and I want to lead off with this real quick. We have, we've got a great show for you lined up too, by the way. Uh, a, a kind of a schedule change. So, folks, if you're listening now and waiting for Pastor Langford on the third hour. He's actually going to be on the second hour, and L.A. Marzulli is going to be taking the third hour. So that just understand that. And we also have Dan Perkins coming up, Coach Dave, before that. And then, of course, um, Pastor Langford, again, the second hour, and uh, the um, and L.A. Marzulli in the third. But a couple of things. Uh, we know, obviously— that uh, the, the the big story that's making making the, the the news, which has been called, we called it Jesse Jesse Smollett, of course. Uh, the Chicago police officially naming him as a suspect, and of course the two brothers um, there that that are co-conspirators and such in this false hate crime. Now, to, the, the I don't want to get too too deep into this, but I do want to say. 
that this has reverberations of long and far beyond Smollett. And this gives, I really believe, this gives or should give everyone uh, a clear indication of the mindset of these social justice warriors who believe that they can solve. And, and I, I, I can almost, having dealt with these people, these kind of people, I should say, for a long time, it, it almost gives you an insight into how they think. And they think that they can solve some, some problems or uh, conversely exacerbate an already uh, – or a non-problem and make a non-problem into a problem. And this is one of the tactics. But this, if you understand – if you go back into the 60s, especially with the SDS, the Weather Underground and, and, and the Black Panthers, and now we see the new Black Panthers, okay – but throw the homosexual component into this. That should not be understated. All right. So there's a lot of of angles to this. Uh, but but it's a sick. It is a sick, twisted mind that would do such a thing. All right. However, now just uh, let me just say this. In addition to that, this is the thought process that a lot of these uh, social justice warriors have under which have been groomed. All right. You're seeing the tactics exemplified by this, this one case. You're seeing, okay. This is not the exception to the rule. No, no, this is the rule. rule. Now that aside, I want to mention one other thing that has gone, I think it has gone under the radar. Actually two things, Nellie or folks, and we have Coach. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't want to take too much time from Coach, but uh, Nellie Orr, there's some disclosures about her, of course, Nellie Orr, the husband, or the, the, yeah, I'm close, the wife of Bruce Orr, number four at the uh, uh, Department of Justice, of the existence of a third dossier. Remember, remember Diana West coming on our program. Remember Diana West talking about Nellie or remember dianawest.net giving a complete expose about Nellie or and about her relationship to Russia. Now you will understand. And also the fact, and we came out with this, we, I, I, I personally appeared on InfoWars and on this platform and I told everybody that Donald Trump, they, they had him under electronic surveillance at the Oval Office and they had him uh, under physical and electronic surveillance at Trump Tower. And by uh, by physical surveillance, I'm talking about assets, intelligence assets, uh, by, uh, under the Brennan Department of Justice, or, or, or Brennan CIA, I'm sorry, and, and the uh, – um, uh, what's her name? The Department of Justice as well as the, the FBI under Comey. This was a uh, multi-agency investigation or multi-agency uh, coup against Donald Trump. And it's no, it is absolutely no, um, coincidence in the, in the, in the, um, uh, will take a look when, when, uh, Donald Trump had the, did the renovations or, or doing the re- had done the re- renovations in, in the Oval Office. I understand what he was doing. He knew exactly what was going on. And he, he, he also made a statement. Don't take this lightly either. He made a statement. Some things are just too terrible for the public to, to know, maybe. Maybe some things are just too terrible for the public to know. Consider the gravity of that statement. One last thing before I kick it to Joe and Coach. Um, 
the Elizabeth Warren statements made on a late night talk show, I think it was last night, concerning a national emergency, what she would do in a national emergency. Don't take this lightly. Okay, you can laugh off a lot of things in life, but when you've got these Elizabeth Warrens and Sanders declaring, of course, and all that, but when Elizabeth Warren gets on a talk show and says, you know, um, we can use a national emergency because uh, Donald Trump uses a national emergency for the wall, but how about using it for the national gun epidemic, okay, um, or or student loan debt? She said those things. Don't underestimate that because they are weaponizing every aspect of the government, and I pray to God, I pray to God Almighty that Donald Trump understands, and I know he does, but uh, uh, really, I, I pray to God, we all, everybody listening and watching this understand the the uh, in 2020, our exposure, and our, our exposure today to one flip of the switch to socialism, uh, to a, well, full-blown communism. That's how close we are. We are so close to a communist takeover in this country right now that has been planned for well over 60, 70 years. Oh, yeah, 100. Yeah, yeah, Federal Reserve is the uh, first step right, towards right, the centralized right. uh, economic so, system. And, 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 you know, we can laugh off people like uh, 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 Ocasio-Cortex, uh, you know, Cortez, but Cortex, right? We can laugh people like her off, but the momentum that, that yeah. she's gaining in the new Green Deal, don't, don't, yeah, but ten years to our now. peril, we will. Yep. So I'm going to tell now. you right now. I'm going to tell you. I'm, gonna, I'm throwing down right now. We better. We better damn well fight back because I'm sick of my child, my grandchildren. Look, I'm not going to be around forever. I might not even be around tomorrow. I don't know the way I feel right now. But I'll tell you something. Uh, we better step up. And I know Coach Dave is is one of those guys that steps up. He's in the trenches, and man, you know, put throw him in the ring, and he and he's out there. He's huddling, he's huddling up, he's gathering people, and he's a cause worthy to uh, to support. I'm going to kick it yeah, up. Yeah, one of the few people out on the front lines doing the work that all Christians should be doing in the face of the abortion infanticide issues and so much other corruption and perversion in our society. But uh, we're going to be talking about a number of things with Coach today. Most importantly, the Occupy 2019 conference that is going to be up and coming one week after the Age of Deception conference, which is in North Carolina. But this is a uh, – go to CoachDaveLive.com or go to Occupy2019.com. And there you can get the tickets. They're very cheap, $49 a ticket. And I'm going to let Coach tell you about who's going to be speaking and who's going to be there talking about what. By the way, I don't like the word cheap, okay? Just like I don't well, like compared the word to, uh, you know, moist. It's inexpensive. All inexpensive. Right. Thank you. Okay. All right. cheap. cheap. Anyway, cheap makes it sound like you were talking about some I get what you're down saying. there on the fifth and main. Go ahead. But we're not talking about, you know, a car or a piece of furniture. We're talking about a, the price. But anyway, Coach, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Joe? Doug, actually, I, I could have sat here all night and listened to you, Doug, as you were getting on that roll because, uh, l- listen, brother, I'm just telling you, there are very few of us, I believe, who really, really understand the depth of what it is that, that we're dealing with in this nation. And and I can't imagine the pressure that you guys sit under every day. And, and you know, I had a uh, conversation. Well, it doesn't matter. I won't drop any names. I had a conversation with other guys today. I mean, there's a lot going on, buddy, a lot going on. And and uh, so I'm honored to to be able to come on tonight just to, to talk a little bit about what I see going on from our perspective and what it is uh, we think people need to do and how we can all kind of work together in this thing. Doug, uh, I'm, I'm 66. I feel like I'm 12 still. I'm 14 years from 80. That's hard to believe. I just gag every time I, I think about that. And uh, 
I, I feel the exact same way that, that you feel. I've never lived in a time. You know, the scripture says, when lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. We're living in a lawless country, brothers. It's just, it is absolutely lawless. And you don't have to be very smart to sit back and watch some of the things that have happened with the FBI and the CIA and all this, all this stuff that's been going on for two years. And then to see the depth of what Hillary did and on back through that whole Clinton Foundation, all that stuff. And Doug, you, you get frustrated because you scream and holler, where's the justice? Where is the justice? And uh, my, my great concern is if, uh, if honor, honorable people don't seize control of the reins in this country, this is not going to end well, brother. This just is not going to end well because the average person, because of uh, shows like the Hagman Report, guys are sitting out there and they, we, hey, we may be hell jacks out here, but we, uh, we understand what's going on. You know what I'm saying? We get it. And we understand that those people in Washington, D.C. are playing us for fools and that the, uh, if, uh, if we are going to be able to push forward, whatever that means, we got to waken up and we got to get organized. And that's what, that's what I've been trying to do really over for the last, <laughs> golly, 15 years of my life, trying to waken up the church and, and, uh, and amazing things happen. There's an awakening going on, uh, yep. uh, but it's outside the church. And, and folks, church. Coach Dave Dobmeyer, Coach Dave Live, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but in, in the event that you've been living under a rock, you don't know who we're talking to, it's Coach Coach Dave Dobmeyer. CoachDaveLive.com is his website. Um, join the huddle in the morning. And, of course, he's uh, a conference, as you can see on the screen, equipping the saints. But, but Coach, you know, the, the way you just uh, said the – um, you know, you're 66. I'm, I'm going to be celebrating my 60th this year as well. Uh, so I'm, I, I got a few years, or you've got a few years on me, I should say. But you know what? Uh, what drives us, I think, at this point, we don't. I don't golf. I don't know if you do, but I don't golf. I don't pull, you know, cheat. play. Cheat. What's that? I cheat. Yeah. Oh, okay. I love uh, my ball. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, it would drive. I think what drive what drives us and keeps us upright and moving is the fact that. We're not going to turn over the reins or, or, or be be okay and, uh, until we know that we've made as much of a difference as we possibly can. Uh, you know, being old like us, well, older I should say. And by the way, uh, you can run circles around ninety nine percent, I believe, of the people your age and my age because of that uh, of that drive you've got. And that's not false flattery or anything. That's just I'm just saying. Look, you know, you got purpose to to really get out there and to to kick some you know kick some open the can of whoop ass and I apologize for that. Yeah. yeah if I can that. jump in here, coach, you mentioned at the beginning that, you know, the lawlessness that's in this country, that's in this world. And that is uh, such a true statement and it's, it's biblical. And it talks about certain attributes that people have in the end times. Lawlessness is, is one of those things. And pride, lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, it goes on and on and on. And talking about the end times and we see the rapid pace of the rise of these attributes and the degeneration of our society and our morals of that society happening at the same exact time and i think that drives many people at least the people who are out on the front lines to continue to push harder because we see we're being ambushed from all sides and there's only little pushback in one or two areas and if that doesn't get your you know blood flowing i don't know what will well you, you know uh, joe uh, i think uh past assault ministries coach dave live i think we're we're a bit unique in what we do and i, I don't mean that to sound uh self-aggrandizing or braggadocious uh, there are very few people who are 
actually working to put men into the battle. Uh, boots on the ground, we call it. I just got back from, uh, we spent a week down, uh, our fourth week down in Panama City, Florida, helping the hurricane victims. Yeah, they're still down there four months later. It's unbelievable. We took, we had about 30 of us down there. And I'm trying to get men engaged in the battle and get men to know each other and work together in certain situations because you'll never play well or never fight well with guys that you don't know and you don't have a relationship. So I've been spending the last uh, couple of years of my life in particular going around America and trying to raise up these groups of men, waking men up. And we've, you know, we've get, we're reaching a point where we're really starting to get some, some momentum with it. And then one of the things I realized, I, listen, I, I love the conferences. I love them. I love to go listen to L.A. and Russ Dizdar and Michael Lake and just run down through and Steve Clare. I love I, I love it. But I, I believe that one of the problems that we have, guys, is uh, we have a lot of head knowledge and we're not really doing a whole lot with, with you know, it's like, a chalk, it's like you have a chalk talk with your football team and you never play a game. And I'm not being critical. I'm, trust me, I'm not being critical because I love the information. I love the conferences. And, you know, I know I know that uh, Pastor Lankford's having one down there. and It'll be a fabulous conference, Ross. Um, Rob Pugh's having one, the Wisconsin Christian News. They're having one, as you said, in March. I know Mike, uh, Mike Kerr and Hear the Watchman. They're great, great conferences. But what we are trying to focus on in ours, we call it Occupy 2019. Uh, we're not, we're not bringing in, well, I've always had LA, when I do an event, try to have LA come in and speak. He does fabulous and all that. But Doug, I'm into the point now where we are trying to train, equip, and mobilize people. This is a different conference in that it may not, it may not be the big name people that you know. If you can throw it up there, Eric, if you could just go to uh, speaker bios a second, just let me, let me, let me. This is go. why we, what we think is a unique. Mark Trump is going to come. Mark's, Mark's pictures on there, and he's going to talk about artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, and everything that's going on, and how we need to be prepared individually. And what we need to do. Tom Dunn is a guy who's from Ohio. Tom is, you know, he's worked with Russ Dizdar for a long time. Tom's going to talk about human trafficking, what's going on with that, what we need to look for, what the average person, we're going to train people to uh, be able to understand what's going on and how to combat it locally. And I've worked with Tom Dunn. Uh, I just want to say this. Man. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, Tom Dunn is a real deal, and, and that's worth the price of admission by itself. Go ahead. It is, and Russ is dark because it's in Russ's right in his backyard. Russ is going to do a training on spiritual warfare, on trying to teach us ex- rather than talking about it and what's going to happen in the future. How do we practically, right here, right now, equip and fight back against the forces of darkness? And then, then Chad Estes is Chad heads up our Salt and Light Brigade nationally. He's the director of it, and he's going to come and tell people how to build these little huddles and get people in your local area get organized. How we need to do it. Chad's done a great job of helping us. David Arthur is going to talk about the homosexual agenda and how they are after your children and how to recognize it in your public schools, how they recruit everything that's going on in, in that area. See, Doug, Joe, this is not just information. This is applicable information. When it's when our conference is over, you're going to be equipped with the tools to go back where you live and fight back. Mark Harrington, down at the bottom, I got Mark Harrington. Mark is one of the forefront guys Abortion 101. Buddy, you want to learn about how to fight abortion right where you live, make a difference locally. Mark has all the tricks, all the stories, and Mark's going to speak with us. And then Dr. Mike Spalding is going to be there and say, this is what the pulpit ought to be doing. So this is not going to be an event where you're going to come and you're going to get your head full of knowledge, although you will. We're going to give you 
practical stuff that you can take and you can go to your local communities because, uh, listen, folks, we can get so overwhelmed because the battle is so big. And you can get focused on Brennan and you get focused on Comey, you get focused on Rosenstein, and, and it's happening right in your local community. There right, it is. In your, yeah. Yeah. right in your local communities. They're, they're training the kids at the libraries in your local communities in the transgenderism. They're killing babies right in your local communities. There's sex trafficking going on right in your local communities. They're in, they are in, inculcating your children in homosexuality right in your local schools. So our conference is come here. We're going to give you practical tools how to make a difference right where we live. And it's only $49. And the reason it's only $49 is because we have cut back on speakers and the travel. And we wanted to really, really focus on who, um, you know, what it was we were going to try to do, boots on the ground, put people in the game. Now, if folks, if you uh, if you go and you purchase a ticket and you go to the hotel, if you get a reservation at the hotel, you have to tell them you're part of uh, the Occupy event, and then they'll give you a special rate. If you don't mention that, they're going to tell you that it's sold out, even though it's not sold out. So we have pre-sale tickets for $49. We did this event last year, and we charged 99 This year we've cut it in half because we want more people to be able to come with practical information that they're going to be able to take and, and use right where they live. And where's this going to be, Coach, again, one more time? Going to be in Akron, Ohio, Canton, Ohio, the same place we had it last year at the Marriott. Uh, and there in, It's on the website. And, uh, you know, Doug, we'd love you and Joe to be able to come. I spoke to Joe about it today. I don't know if you guys can. Even if you could just come down for a Saturday and say hi to everybody, we'd love to have you. But uh, we're, going to put on, uh, we're going to put on a world-class training for people. Listen, folks, you can sit in your house. And you can complain all you want to. What was it James Carville said? All politics are local. Brother, we're going to start fighting back local and show people how to do it and how to get organized locally. Because ultimately, that's where the battle is going to be won. Not in Washington, D.C. Not against the Supreme Court. The battle is going to be won locally. Well, Coach, you mentioned something, you know, uh, just complaining about it. A lot of people don't know what to do, where to start, how to fight back. But... Complaining about it is part of the beginning, but if you don't go any further than that, then you're just, you know, enabling these people to continue. And we don't hear about solutions as much as we should. We are seemingly too much focused on the problems, which there are so many, and they continue to get worse that uh, it's got us on this defensive mode, and, and we miss things, and, it, and it, we lose uh, track of what we really need to be doing. And that's why I feel it's so important that folks tune into your your show, to what your, your mission does, because boots on the ground, number one, uh, you can't beat that. We can talk till we're blue in the face. What difference does it make, uh, aside from what Jesus does with that but you got boots on the ground whether it's feeding homeless people in hurricane uh, you know stricken areas to closing down abortion clinics through protests or target uh coach gets it done and he puts his money where his mouth is and uh, we appreciate that joe how, how about this how about if we train people to start going to the city council meeting and take yeah. that three minutes right at the mini bit at the uh, beginning of the of the of the meeting and tell just tell them the truth tell them what's going on we're going to stop it we're going to hold you accountable for it we're sick of it Call your congress. We're going to train people on how to do that because we we know the other side has been doing that for years. That's why they seem to have so much power. And we're now that we're getting people to wake up and they are wakening up. Brother, if we don't teach them how to fight this this battle, they're going to get creamed. And so we, we're trying to put together a, a, a local army right where you live. Local armies are going to stand up and push back and fight the fight in our local communities. Part of the ideology we fight against uses the tactic of prob- creating the problem, 
uh, judging the reaction and then implementing the solution. They already have the solution in place before they create the problem. We okay. uh, see the problem and we react to it. And, and that's where it seems to end. And, you know, we're not the ones creating the problem, so we don't know what the solutions are. But we need to find a, a better game plan uh, for the battlefield that we're fighting on. Because, as you said, Coach, the most important thing is the local fight. You can't change anything unless you do it locally. Joe, I had, I had a high school baseball coach. When I, was, I was a freshman in high school, and I was, I was catching, believe it or not. And uh, bases were loaded. There were two outs. And I noticed the guy on second base was – guy on second, he was getting too far off. I think I can, I can pick this guy off. So, you know uh, – uh, pit, cat, pit, uh, pitcher throws the ball, I catch it, and I jump up, and I rifle that thing down to second base. Everything was good, except the shortstop didn't know I was going to throw it, and the base wasn't covered. And so two guys come in, and I'll never forget the baseball coach walked out out of the huddle. You know, he's out of the uh, dugout, and he yelled at me. He said, Dave! I looked over at him and says, you got a million-dollar arm and a ten-cent brain. <laughs> that's, that, that's where we are, right? We got... We got million dollar arms and ten cent brains, so we have to figure out, understand, take the take the information that we get, put the information together together so that our ability matches our ability to think. And until we put those two things together, until we put into practice what we know, we can't go play if we ain't practice. So that's what we want to try to do. That's what I'm trying to do all across all across the nation to wake people up, train people. To, to more effectively fight this battle. I'm crazy enough to still think we can win. I still think we can win. And I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to yeah. go down. I'm, I'm not going to go down on my knees, brothers. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, I'll, I'll just say this. We're going to be uh, continuing to promote the, that conference because what you're doing is unlike anyone else. And that's, again, equipping us for fighting locally and making that difference. Because without that, we're toast. And you might think, well, I know, I know how to do. Well, no, you don't. No, you don't. Listen to Coach Dave. And if you think the enemy's too, I'm looking at it. We're in the uh, backup office, and I'm looking at a book that Paul McGuire wrote, Standing Down Goliath. We are uh, the, the little ones versus the Goliaths today. It's not impossible. We're God's A-team, Joe. That's right. We're his A-team, right? That's we, right. We Get this thing done, but we got to get organized. We have to get educated. Folks, trust me, this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful conference. There'll be great fellowship. You're running to other people who think just like you. It can be regional right here in the heart, Ohio, the heart of it all. This maybe isn't for people in Los, Los Angeles. Maybe it's not for people in, you know, down in Texas, but we can draw from this, this area up here in the, in the Midwest. And that's what we're trying to do. And go to coachdavelive.com for registration and tickets. Coach, thank you so much. You have a great night. Thanks for having God me. God bless God. you, sure. Coach. Thank God you. God bless you. Up against the break. Be right back.
Exposing the New World Order, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on the Global Star Radio Network. Stand by. Doug and Joe will be back shortly. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. Again, don't change, don't, don't, don't think, don't adjust your television set or your video monitor in the event that you're thinking, man, you know, it's a different uh, backdrop. We are broadcasting from our offices as our studio undergoes technical uh, upgrades for uh, the syndication here that's coming in mid-March and for other reasons as well. So it's kind of cozy. Just pull up a chair and uh, be with us. You know, one of the most delightful, and I say delightful, that sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? One of the most informative individuals that we've had on um, on this show uh, is a TV radio personality, current events commentator, author, extraordinaire, a gentleman by the name of Dan Perkins. And you you remember him. We've had him on before. We, we, we invited him back, fan favorite, by the way, um, to talk about a number of issues, uh, you know, it's uh, in on his at his website, which is going to be contained in the uh, program description box below in the archive, uh, Dan at Sanibel dot com. Uh, it's it's he writes that it's it's not easy to put him into any one category, and it's true. He does he does he's a multifaceted person, individual. He is. Um, He's all of the commentary, uh, comment, commentator, speaker, personality, and, of course, he knows of which he speaks, and he's got his finger on the pulse of current events. So with that, Joe, I'm going to toss it to you. You're going to bring him on, and let's rock. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was, uh, I was muted there. But, yeah, we, this hoax hate crime, we opened with this at the beginning of the show, uh, this Jesse Smollett. We yep. called it, I called it, I know you agreed with me, the first night that we reported on it, there were too many details that did not make sense. Uh, I'm not going to go through them all again now, but there. And, and then, as the time went on, we saw the more surveillance footage was released. They were, then they released the two persons of interest, and when they did that, that confirmed what we already knew that this was a hate crime perpetrated by the alleged victim. And come to find out, it was worse than I even thought. The guy hired oh yeah these it, extras it, for mail this. fraud. And, and by the way, just a little bit of a notation: grand jury indictments. You're going to be hearing about that or oh, presentments. Yeah. Presentments. They're not handed down. You know, they're Dan handed Clinton up. Okay, doesn't get, just understand that. I just it kind of it's one of my pet peeves. Grand jury presentments or indictments are handed up, meaning up to the bench, not down. So just think about that in your. Uh, uh, but anyway, go ahead. Hillary Clinton doesn't get justice, but, you know, we're going to see Jesse Smollett, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Getting charged with, you know, and, and I wish this was a standard that everybody who committed crimes was held to. 
Um, but unfortunately, it's not. And he is going to, you know, getting the short end of the stick as far as the uh, the liberal leeway goes with the just, justice system. So, but it'll be interesting to see how that happens. But we have with us uh, somebody to come on to talk about not only this but a number of other important issues, and that is Mr. Dan Perkins. He's a returning guest. He's a nationally recognized expert on media, society, foreign policy, as well as a a contributor to the Daily Caller, Newsmax.com, The Hill, and so much more. And the fake news analyst is what we're talking about today, Dan Perkins. Uh, He's going to be talking about a few of these articles. The Wolf Who Cried MAGA, ABC Damage Control After Good Morning America Gush. And, and folks, if you didn't see it, this Jesse Smollett, what, the very end of last week, came out and doubled down on an interview on TV saying, you you know, how dare you not believe me? And then the host said, you better believe him. Um, when all these red flags were already there, uh, they they did not care. And he no- knowingly knew that this was going to come out. You know, I, that I, anyway. real quick, I mean, what's real that quick, mentality? I, I, look, real, very, very quickly, I worked a case like this in Niagara Falls, in New York. This is going back into the late 90s. And uh, I, I, long story short, I identified, I, I said, look, this is a self-perpetuated crime. And the executive of the Fortune 100 company said to me, you damn well better be right. You make a statement like that about a very top key employee. And I said, I would bet my reputation on it. It was uh, about a hundred thousand dollars later in investigative expenses. Cause I, um, not to me, uh, they actually arrested the victim. Yeah. And that's unfortunate Day for me, I guess. Right. Let's bring on Mr. Perkins and let's get into this a little bit. Um, this is something that we've seen a recent trend, uh, rising, these hoax hate crimes that are uh, being perpetrated by people who who describe and, and report themselves to be the victim of these crimes, only to find out that they are the ones who perpetrated the crimes. And we're up to, there's a website, I think it's up to 370 now, under Trump's presidency alone, where people have committed anti-Semitic, uh, anti-African-American acts of, of vandalism and other things, where it comes back to be the actual group who was victimized, being the ones who perpetrated the crimes. Mr. Perkins, what is the psychology behind this uptick in these hoax hate crimes well first of all it's dan mr perkins was my father <laughs> um and other thing i just wanted to update you uh we have a new website it's called danperkins.guru uh we had so much content that we had to split it into four different sections but it's now even more friendly user-friendly it's danperkins.guru so if you would change your chiron or whatever on your two from Dan Perkins at Sanibel to just Guru. It would be a, a great, greatly appreciated. We'll let, take let, care let, of that. Let's take a quick, take a quick shot here. Um, one of the things that you kind of alluded to, but didn't come out and say specifically, uh, was <clears throat> that there is a, there seems to be a difference in the treatment of justice based on party affili- affiliation. If you're a Republican, you get beat on and you you get arrested and you uh, are manipulated by the government officials and you're accused of lying and you spend your fortune and you do everything to protect your family and and so you admit guilt. <clears throat> so uh, the the whole genesis of what's happening here with fake news, in my opinion, started in the 2016 election, and that was and actually the, the primaries before we got the general election. The, the news media thought Trump was a joke 
But when he came down the stairs of Trump Tower and he talked about the things that were important to him, I was on the radio at the time and watching it live. And I said, this guy's not only going to win the nomination, he's going to win the presidency. And he's going to he's going to for one very simple reason. He is talking to the abandoned American people who are not on either coast. He's talking to the flyover territory, as it later was to be called. Um, and he began to establish a connection with hundreds of thousands, then millions and tens of millions of people. And he won the election because he spoke to the people about what he believed and what he wanted to do, and that he was a successful businessman and he could do, he believed he could do it. He believed in himself that he could make change. And so the, the, the left, who was so, so angry, um, became addicted to, and that's the right word, addicted to try and find ways to, to get rid of the, or diminish the effectiveness of this president. And they've tried every possible thing that they could to throw at him, in, including fake news, and none of it worked. So they had to move to the next level, and that's what we saw with the with the alleged racial assault and potential uh, hanging. Uh, they decided, some people in the Democratic Party decided they had to step up and they had to try and create a narrative that that was even more horrible and more racist and more bigoted than anything that had been done before. So my guess is this this Smalley guy decided he was going to volunteer for the for the cause because he had a reputation of hating Donald Trump. So, so are, what, are, what happened here, Dan? Are you just uh, by implication or, or directly? Are you saying that that this could be a larger, um, more elaborate, planned out, potentially planned out uh, event than were than, than even even as bad as it is? It could be even be worse. I don't think that a person of of this particular type of person would attempt to do this on his own without not notifying somebody that what he was about to do. Because anybody who could follow the story, forget about for the moment that whether it's true or not, look what happened to this story when it was reported. Now, here's an interesting thing. I do, I write probably 15 to 25 commentaries a month. I do between 40 and 60 radio television shows a month. So I, I, I talk a lot about current events. And in order to do that, I've got to do a ton of research. I have to have my facts absolutely dead on. And all the people that I write for, all the organizations I write for, from the very first time I started writing for them, they said, prove it, prove it, prove it. And so if you look at my articles where I publish them, you'll see hyperlinks where they're all locked into what the source is of what I'm talking about. Sources, plural. Um, so this was going to be a story, just if you just think about it, first of all, if it was if it was true to start with, this is going to be a huge story, massive story. And it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out if this caught on, this is going to be a, 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 a mega story. So I don't, I don't buy the fact that he did it totally on his own. 
Um, I think the plot to, uh, to hire the actors from the television show and the rope and everything else in the bleach, <clears throat> uh, I, I am not willing to give him all of the intellectual credit for figuring this out all by himself. So, yeah, I believe there were other people involved. Whether we'll know that or not, it depends on how much pressure that the police put on him to, to spill the beans about what was going on. But it's an example, a continuing example of hate speech done by the Democratic Party with no consequences. If we could learn anything at all about all of the fake news stories, that there were no consequences. Let me give you an example. When the governor of Virginia said he was going to support the bill in the legislature that created a new kind of abortion, it was called post-birth abortion, which is murder. And he took a lot of heat from that. But he kind of disappeared, and you don't hear anything about Mr. Northern anymore. The, the, the lieutenant governor has been accused of sexual assault and abuse and rape by two women. He disappeared from the headlines. Disappeared from the headlines. Didn't happen. The, the attorney general had a problem. Disappeared from the headlines. Why? Because the narrative needed to be changed, and the, the the Democrats who had control of the media chose not to follow it up. And that's what's been happening. Whether you go back to the BuzzFeed story or you go back to Kavanaugh, and on and on and on. All these stories that came out as fake news had no consequences to the perpetrators who created the fake news until yesterday. And I think what's going to happen is that we're going to find out, as we've all known as conservatives, there are repercussions for everything we do. The $250 million lawsuit, which is only the beginning of the lawsuits for these young men in Kentucky who were brutalized and and destroyed by the mainstream media based on fake news that they did no reporting on, they did nothing to, to verify, uh, it's going to start costing these organizations money. I suspect you will see other news outlets, whether it be NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, or whoever, MSNBC, are going to be in the crossfire of this attorney who's going to file more and more lawsuits. I think that's going to create a situation where other people who are adversely affected by fake news of the left are going to begin to sue. And I think what's going to happen it's going to change. I believe it. this is a seminal moment of what's going to happen to fake news, and it's going to have a dramatic impact on the 2020 election. Because these, as these cases come up before the court, and whether they settled with, with uh, the Washington Post, my guess is they're not going to settle. They're going to want to take this to a trial because they want to make a statement. And I think there's a lot of support for what they're trying to do. This young man who filed this complaint against these people who supposedly tried to lynch him and threw bleach on him and called all kinds of racial slurs and things like that, based on the latest report that I heard today, 
the police department is considering, and you were talking about it in your in your opening segment, they're talking about the possibility of an indictment for him for fraudulent claim. So we're beginning to see maybe the worm turn. We have on a parallel nation, parallel basis, we have the former general counsel for the FBI admitting before Congress that he believed that Hillary Clinton broke the law and was purposely not prosecuted. The concept of there's a set of laws for Hillary and all of her kind and a set of laws for the rest of us. I suspect, and I, I wrote about this several times, I suspect we're about to see the worm turn there too because I, I think you're going to see the implication of whether it's the Kavanaugh testimony which was basically lies and untruths and innuendo, and all women must be believed, and now all blacks must be believed, um, I think that's going to change. And I think it's going to have, a, as I said, a significant impact on the presidential election in 2020. Wow. Well, a significant impact, meaning a significant impact uh, exposing the tactics of the progressive Democratic Socialist left is what you're saying. Uh, you, yeah, because it's going to right. start costing them money to open their mouth and lie. Okay. All right. Well, that would be good. And what you said, just yes. what you said, two words, no consequences. I mean, that right. summarizes what we've seen and, and that the frustration behind that. It, 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 yes. Yeah. So it's it's as if we don't have a justice or a system of justice here. Um, we have a legal system, but not a system of justice. Um, but I, 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 yes, uh, I have to tell you, I heard this, this young woman, mother of 10 interviewed on, uh, Glenn Beck show this morning. And she, she is having a prayer service in Albany, New York, where they, the, the governor signed the bill to prevent or to permit third trimester to the day of birth in, in the, in the birth canal abortions. Yeah. Activist mommy. She, and, was, and she was on her show last week. Activist mommy. Yes. Yep. She started off, she was going to do this in Albany. As of this morning, at about 930, she had 21 cities across the country that were now participating. This is another thing where I think um, many Americans, I did a piece um, that was on um, uh, Clash Daily last week, and I talked, and the title of the piece was Meet the new Margaret Sangers. And I introduced them to the, the sponsor of this legislation in the state of New York and the one in Virginia. But, you know, what was more important, and it's, again, it, uh, I, uh, I would really encourage your listeners to go to Clash Daily and look last week, and it's called Meet the New Margaret Sangers, because there's a, there's a very, very, very important message in that article. And the message is this. When I wrote the first book in my trilogy on radical Islamic nuclear terrorism, I called it A Terrorist Perspective. And I wrote that first novel literally from the standpoint of a terrorist because I didn't believe when I was writing the novel that the vast majority of Americans had any idea why these people in the Muslim faith hate us so much. Why do they say death to America? Why do they want to kill us? 
And as I started doing interviews after interviews, I kept asking the show hosts like you, so what percentage of your audience do you think has ever read the Koran or Sharia law? 1%, less than 1%, maybe 2%. I was thinking about that when I was writing this Margaret Sanger. Here's what I concluded. And I, I don't ask this question to embarrass either one of you, but I, I am going to ask it because I've been asking it ever since this article went out. What percentage of your audience do you believe can actually describe any of the three typical techniques used in abortion in the United States? Very low. Yeah, very low. I mean, low. sadly, I would say one-tenth of one percent, perhaps. Uh, so in this article, Meet the New Margaret Sangers, I take from the doctors the three procedures that are used to perform abortions on women in the United States. And I'm telling you, gentlemen, the reaction that I'm getting from people is outrage. They had no idea. Women had no idea this was what was happening to, quote, their sisters who were going for abortions. And sisters who were thinking about going for abortions in the third trimester. Now, the uh, Guttmeyer Institute, which follows the tracks the, the abortions in the United States, tells us that that there are very few, uh, less than 1.3% third trimester abortions in the United States. And so th by saying 1.3, it doesn't sound like a lot, but 1.3% of the number of abortions that are porn that are performed in this country is a thousand abortions a month. A thousand children are being killed in the third trimester. And so what I did is I took the, the procedure and I've had women call me and tell me that they cried when they read that article because they were, they never, nobody ever explained to them the brutality. And why I think it's important is two things. One, the left and the Planned Parenthood people have done nothing to really educate the women and men in America as to how brutal these procedures are and what happens to that fetus. The left is lying to and not telling the truth. And so I, I put that in there. But I also understand that there's a lot of ignorance. And as the lady said this morning, it's time for those of us who believe in the value of life to stand up and say no. Say no. Because in third quarter, here's how the left has got themselves in a corner. The, the medical researchers who support abortion say, well, there aren't many third, third trimester uh, abortions, and I just told you there are 12,000. But under this new legislation in New York, a mother can be in the process of giving birth. The child can be in the birth canal, and she says, I want an abortion. And if, and if the child can't be aborted and killed before in the birth canal, it's born, and as the governor in Virginia said, we'll make it comfortable, and then we'll decide, the mother will decide with the doctors when it's going to be killed. And those are really, really harsh words but they're the words that speak reality, because the scientists have said for a long time, the, the 
leftists do not feel pain until the third quarter. Now, there are a lot of us who disagree with that. But now the left has got a problem. If the fetuses can feel pain in the third quarter, and when you stick a pair of pliers into the cervix and tear off the arms and the legs and the feet and eventually crush the skull and expel it through the cervix, that baby feels the pain. And with with black women being the largest number in absolute numbers of abortions in the United States, I would easily expect to see third trimester abortions accelerate in the third quarter. And the left doesn't want to tell us anything about the reality. You know, we we do have, by the way, we do, for the viewers out there watching this live at Hagman Report Live, we do have the Meet the New Margaret Sanger from Clash Daily, which is from February 11th. Uh, I, I strongly suggest everyone read this, but that's an incredible uh, – how can uh, – well, Joe, you were going to say something because I'm, I'm just absolutely tongue-tied. Yeah, well, I, and I continue to say this, is that you know, during the Bill Clinton presidency, they talked about making abortion legal for reasons of keeping the mother safe during pregnancy who may be in danger and for cases of incest and rape to be very rarely used, uh, you know, looked down upon and very rarely used. And that has went from, what, 25 years ago till now, where they're now celebrating, celebrating on TV in Hollywood and in, in our popular culture, even in some churches, the fact that they were killing babies, not only in the third trimester, but after they're born. Well, Dan wrote it perfectly, Joe. I just want to say this. He writes this. Let me be clear. The New York Democrats were celebrating was uh, what, what they were celebrating was the legality of a fully formed eight-pound baby girl with a, with a head of hair, fingernails, eyelashes, and 100% chance of surviving outside the womb to be, uh, uh, to be poisoned, crushed, and killed. The, 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 That's right. That's what I said. I mean, you you cannot get any more uh, linguistically graphic and dead on than that. And that's what that's what happens in the process. You're taking a seventh or an eighth month old child in a fetus and ripping it apart, and then they do the partial birth abortion, where they literally turn the child into a breech position, let them let the the woman push. The, the baby out, feet and butt first, and while the child's head is stuck in the cervix, behind the cervix, they push in a device and suck out the brains, crush the skull, and bring it forward. Somebody... I know it's, 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 it's grotesque, yes. but maybe if more people understood how grotesque and how brutal a process it was, maybe less people would be interested in doing it. You're right. And what they did in New York and other states now is that the Gosnell movie, a lot of what was shown there as horrific crimes are now legal under these new mm-hmm. laws in, in these states that have passed them. And, uh, Dan, we are we only got about 30 seconds left, so any closing okay. thoughts, comments? Take it away. I, I just think that, that, that maybe the, maybe the tide has turned, and... And I compliment the attorneys and the young man and his parents who decided to sue the Washington Post, and I suspect they'll sue other people. Maybe it will cause people to begin to understand that even on the left, there are consequences when you do bad things. Absolutely right. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, DanPerkins.guru. We will make sure that's, uh, well, there it is on, on screen. Thank you so very much for your writings and for your uh, getting this news out there. We really appreciate you. We really do. 
Thank you for having me. I look forward to being on again sometime. Yeah, anytime, sir. God bless you. Thank you again. Folks, we're up against network break. Going to be back. Give us three minutes. Exposing the New World Order, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on the Global Star Radio Network. Stand by. Doug and Joe will be back shortly. Welcome back to this edition, this Wednesday, February 20, 
2019 edition of the Hagman Report. You know, how it's kind of funny how God works. I just want to say this at the outset. Uh, we had L.A. Marzilli scheduled for uh, 9 o'clock uh, per pursuant to his request, and Pastor David Langford was kind enough to reschedule his time to appear this hour. Now, whatever happened because of the different time zones and confusion and what have you, well, um, we're going to be apparently rescheduling uh, Marzilli for a different time, a different day, that is. And, it- and uh, so I just I kind of at the outset I just want to say for those people who tune in to this show specifically to listen to Pastor David Langford at nine o'clock I have a feeling God has His hand in this in some way I don't I I don't understand what I'm saying here I think God has a way of working where the Pastor Langford who I believe is my pastor, certainly is a pastor for our office, our studio, our organization. Um, there are a lot of times people uh, don't don't hear him uh, at nine o'clock, and it's, so there's a reason that this happened, and I I'm very prayerfully thankful that Pastor Langford agreed to come on at this time as opposed to nine o'clock because I do believe, like I said, there's a there's a reason. I know that there's somebody or some buddies out there who maybe haven't heard Pastor Langford. I know that's hard to believe. But I, I think that things happen for a reason. So uh, having said that, I want to thank Tech Eric as well for all of the uh, stuff that he's doing uh, on the fly and helping us get through this transition into larger syndication. As you can see, we're, we're broadcasting from a, a different uh, different backdrop, different area. This is from our offices if you didn't, didn't uh, catch the first hour of our program. So with that, I just, I'm going to toss it to Joe. But uh, understand, folks, we're living in an age of deception. We've talked about this. And I am so excited to hear, to be in the presence of Pastor Langford this April, April 5th, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the dates are up there, April 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th, April 4th through 7th at the uh, Hickory Metro Convention Center. I'm just so excited to to be able to be there uh just in the shadow of Pastor David Langford, in the shadow of people like Steve Quayle and others, in this, in my view, what will be to many a very life-changing event uh, because that these kinds of this is not one of those this is not a normal conference of information this is a this is one that will touch your in my view touch your heart and touch your soul and change your life this this will be a life-changing event so with this yes. uh, so please folks please if you haven't done so already uh, register for the conference in Hickory, North Carolina. I can't think of a better place and a better time with better people than than uh, Pastor Langford and uh, and people like Steve Quill and others. Joe. And after uh, Pastor Langford's done at nine o'clock, I'm going to tell a story about how this all came about. That now LA can't come on because it's kind of funny. It kind of is a is a small example of how my day's been going so far. Um, but we do have someone coming up at 9.30. I just got that. But without any further time delay, Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism, always comes on with a timely spiritual message that coincides with events happening in our earth. And they always uh, seem to point to one direction, that we are growing, we're moving closer and closer to the end times that the Bible talks about, that Jesus warned us about. And it seems like we are in a snowball effect now, where there is no stopping it, uh, minus you know a few... Uh, uh, little uh, speed bumps that will slow it down. But what do you think, Pastor? Are we that far gone that it's a big snowball now with only hopes are of slowing it down, not stopping it? Without a doubt, and we're definitely going to get into that. But I want to, Doug, you said something, uh, this confirmation, 
why things work like they do. Saturday, my wife and I went to a little town called Waynesville, North Carolina. And they have a general mast, M-A-S-T, general mast store. And they're, 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 I know they're in Tennessee. They're in different states. And it's, it's kind of old stuff. They got candy and all of this stuff. It's one of the reasons I like to go there to get the candy. But I was in the leather department, and there was a young lady, uh, about 30, 31 years of age. Her name was Hannah. And my wife was doing something, so I was standing around, and I looked at the girl, and I said, do you know what your name means? And I could tell she didn't, but she didn't want to be embarrassed and not understand. I said, well, let me tell you the story about Hannah. And I began to tell about how Hannah was barren and that she was grief-stricken and how she went prostrated herself in the temple of God. And uh, she was praying and weeping and crying out to God that God would touch her womb. And if God would touch her womb, that she might be fruitful, that uh, she would give the child back to him. And then the Bible says that Eli, the temple priest, came in, found her prostrate in the tabernacle floor. He thought she was drunk. And he, he talked very harshly to her. And he said, get up out of here. He said, you're drunk. And you read all this in First Samuel chapters 1 and 2. She said, my Lord, I am not drunk. I am not a daughter of Belial or a daughter of Baal. And so after the scathing rebuke, she got up. She went home. The Bible says Elkanah, which was her husband, he knew her. She conceived. And, 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 I, and I, I told a little more of the story. I'm trying to cut it short here. But her eyes swelled up with tears. And, and, and you know what she said to me? She said, I'm dealing with infer- infertility for the last nine years. The last nine years. Now, I didn't know that. I told my wife, I said, she's living out her name afterwards. But I didn't want to embarrass her. There was a crowd in the store. And I was going to take her hand and pray for her right there. But I, didn't, I knew I would embarrass her. And I, and I took her by the hand. And I said, I said, Hannah, I'm going to pray for you at the appropriate time you will conceive. And I believe in my spirit. She's going to conceive, and she's going to bring forth a child. But you, you never know why God puts you in a place or how God's going to use you. It is merely our responsibility to be obedient. And so you may think it's the strangest thing in the world when you get ready to do something or you feel an unction, and the word unction in the Greek is charisma. It means the smearing on of an anointing. When you hear people in Hollywood or in sports uh, say that guy has charisma. No, he doesn't. He may be flamboyant. He may be a lot of things, but he doesn't carry an anointing of the Holy Spirit. But when the Bible said in First John two twenty, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. That word unction in the Greek is charisma, the smearing on of an anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you can know things. You can discern things, just like with that girl. I, I just felt constrained to tell her what her name meant. And then she turns around and says to me, I'm struggling with infertility. So you never know how God is going to do something. Back to the snowball, Joe. Um, I've I've really been praying uh, since since I broke my fast, asking God to to guide me, to to, to help me uh, for the sake of the body of Christ. I don't know that I'll be able to finish what I'm going to start tonight. We may have to pick it up next week and finish it. I, I really don't think I can do all of this in one program in an hour. Uh, so if I see that I can't, I will be more detailed in the Bible prophecies. But there's the Lord laid something on my heart about two prophets 
One was Hananiah, the other was Jeremiah. And I want to read the whole chapter of Jeremiah chapter 28. We're going to talk about false prophets and what's going on in America today. So Jeremiah, beginning in chapter 28, verse 1, And it came to pass the same year, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth month and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azor, the prophet. I want to pause there. The Bible calls Hananiah a prophet. But we're going to find out what kind of prophet he really was. He was of, the, he was of Gibeon. He spake unto me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priest, and all of the people saying, this is Hananiah speaking to Jeremiah and all the other priests in the house of God. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon, that would be Nebuchadnezzar, within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. Uh, there had already been one seize on Jerusalem, and there were actually three in the complete fulfillment of all the Bible prophecies. But this was the first one. So there was a partial uh, parts of the tabernacle, the temple, that vessels... Sacred vessels were taken away from the house of God, but not all of them. So Hananiah now is prophesying. This has been, this has been the first portion of the seas on Jerusalem. So Hananiah says, within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. So we know where the, the part of the vessels went. They went to Babylon. I will bring again... To this place, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now he's prophesying here. He's, he's acknowledging there have been those Jews that have been taken captive, and they've been deported to Babylon. They've been taken away. He's acknowledging that. But he's saying in this prophecy which is a false prophecy. It's all false. It's all a lie. But remember, the Bible said he was the son of Azor, the prophet. did say the false prophet. It just said the prophet. All right, so let's go on. Then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priest and in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord. Even the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. So be it. The Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words which thou hast prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. Nevertheless, hear thou now this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people. The prophets that have been before me and before thee of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. The prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known 
that the Lord hath truly sent him. In other words, whoever word comes to fruition, comes to pass, that is the true prophet of God. God has truly sent him. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spake in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years, and the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet, after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. And I have given him the beast of the field also. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth this year. Thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. What a powerful statement. Or in other words, you've taught a revolt against God. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. So he died either in September or he died in October. It was only uh, really two months had passed, and he died. So let's go back and let's look at what this 28th chapter is trying to convey to us. Again, I'm talking about false prophets. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. The consensus throughout America right now, throughout the world right now, is prophecies about blessing, about prosperity, about a new era, how the things are going to turn around, uh, how things are going to get so hunky-dory that it's going to be unbelievable. You take all of those purported prophecies about blessings and prosperity and reflect that against men of God, whether they're pastors, evangelists, or prophets, or whatever. Reflect that, look at that, compare that to those who are preaching truth, judgment, and repentance. When I look at a Christian television, when I look at Christian ministries today, you're not hearing, you're not seeing preachers preach Truth, judgment, nor repentance. The Bible says in Acts three nineteen, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of God. 
actually from the presence of the Lord, it says. How in the world can we be prophesying blessings, prosperity, peace, placidity? How can we be prophesying all of these things when there's absolutely no repentance? Now, now that's why I quoted Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, for there to be a move of God, there must be repentance. Thus Peter says, repent ye therefore and be converted. You've got to be born again. You've got to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing. That word refreshing in the Greek simply means when the time of revival shall come from the presence, the Greek says, from the face of the Lord, from the face of the Lord, from the face of God. Now, that word times there, and you've heard me talk about the word time, times, is chronos and kairos. Chronos is the succession of time that gets us to the kairos time, which is a divine appointed time when foreordained events must come to pass. So for this to come to fruition, for there to be a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, there must be repentance. So instead of preaching blessing and prosperity, we must be preaching repentance. Why would Jesus say in Mark 8, 37, uh, 36 and 37, what should it profit a man? If he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? If you gain the whole world, if everyone listening tonight were suddenly tomorrow millionaires, and you died lost without God, what did it profit you to become a millionaire? It profited you absolutely nothing. You said, well, I had money. Money cannot buy redemption. Money cannot buy forgiveness. Money cannot buy happiness. Only Jesus Christ in your heart, only Jesus in your life can fulfill your life. That's why when people drink, they get so drunk, they don't remember where they were or what they did. And they're trying to wash away the sorrow, the pain, the guilt, the suffering, the negativity, the things that have happened to them in the past. They're, they're trying to wash it away with alcohol or through uh, uh, putting drugs into their veins, or taking opioids orally, whatever the case might be. They're, they're, they're trying to sedate themselves to soothe the tempest that is raging in their hearts and their minds and their souls when all they've got to do is come to Jesus. That, that, that's all it takes. Now, you know, I, I appreciate the things that Donald Trump has tried to do, but you can't put one good apple and a barrel full of rotten apples, and think that good apple is going to turn those rotten apples into good apples. The exact opposite is going to happen. Those rotten apples are going to turn that good apple into a rotten apple. That's the process. It's rot. It's ruin. It's decay. It's filth. It's immoral. It's degradation. It is the baseness. It is the botchery. These are the things that Donald Trump encountered when he went there. And now we have abortion. Now think about what I'm getting ready to say here. We've got greater abortion since Donald Trump has gone into the White House than ever before. We've got more acts of racism, violence.
violence, sodomy than ever before. I mean, we're now letting children be born, lay them out there on the gurney, on the operating table, and snip their spinal column or sedate them till they die, and they put a blanket over them and keep them warm until they pass away. Now, what's going on? Everybody wants to know what's, what's going on. What's going on is Matthew 24, 12. I think I quoted that a while ago, Matthew 24, 12, and I quoted verse 11. Matthew 24, 11 says, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Verse 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, when you see Cuomo and these governors and these legislators, state legislators, start passing laws in an attempt to thwart an overturn of Roe v. Wade, you're witnessing more and more lawlessness. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, I know Christian people doesn't think it bothers them one bit when they change a law in the state of New York where you can murder babies. I live down here in North Carolina. So how's that going to affect me? It's going to affect every one of us because of the fact of shedding innocent blood. And I'm telling you, God is not going to sit idly by and let this continue on in the way and the state and in the manner in which it's taking place. Yesterday, this scripture came to my mind. It stunned me when I began to think about what it really meant. Hosea chapter 4, verse 2. By swearing and lying, and killing, and stealing, committing adultery, they break out, blood toucheth blood. Blood toucheth blood. I feel like God put it in my spirit. We're shedding innocent blood. And here's the next thing that's going to happen. Adults are going to witness their blood as it is shed on the same soil, but over a civil war, civil unrest. Now, I know people don't like to hear that kind of talk. That's morbid. That's sordid. That's despicable. But listen, we're murdering innocents in the name of our so-called laws, and we justify it. And do you hear... Prophets prophesying against the shedding of innocent blood? Do you hear prophets prophesying against adultery, against murder? I just did a video. I don't believe we've posted it yet. I just did it yesterday, I believe it was. On 11 words that you'll never hear in America's pulpits. And I, and I shot a video. I believe it was yesterday. If it wasn't yesterday, it was Monday. I can't remember. I'm so busy. 11 words you're never going to hear in the pulpits of America today. Because it's offensive, it indicts people, it condemns people, it makes people feel uncomfortable, and people don't want to hear it. And for the sake of money, for the sake of not offending anyone or hurting anyone's feelings or somebody getting mad and says to the pastor, I'll quit paying my tithes, I'll go to another church. That's a hireling I said, that is a hireling, that is a hypocrite that will stand in that pulpit and never say one thing about sin 
adultery, fornication, sodomy, abortion, or anything. That man is a hypocrite. He's nothing but a hireling. He's two-faced. I, I, I loathe. And I, and I know I, 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 people don't like me, and I'm not in a contest trying to get people to like me. I'm not a politician. I loathe men who decree and declare they're called of God just like I am, but yet we preach entirely two different messages. I loathe these men, and most of them loathe me. They despise me. I'm not, I'm not on anybody's inner circle. I don't have a circle. I'm in the presence of God. I don't get in with certain crowds because I don't want to be in that crowd because that crowd does not live right. Ephesians 5.11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We have people out here who claim they have ministries. They drink. They lie. They womanize. They commit adultery, they fornicate, they cheat, they do all kinds of things, and yet they have the audacity to say, I got a ministry just like you, Pastor. You don't have a ministry. You have your own concept, you have your own ideology of what you have structured and set up, believing that God has put you in this place. You're self-appointed, you're self-anointed, you, you, you have set up yourself, God didn't do it. If I ask 99% of the preachers today, I want you to tell me when you had your encounter with God and God revealed himself to you and called you into the work of God. Tell me your encounter. Tell me when it happened. And 99% of them cannot tell you. They chose it as a vocation. Oh, I just, you know, I, I, I played golf and met a couple of guys on the golf course before. Matter of fact, I was playing with an attorney one day. And he found that I was a preacher, and after a hole or two, and he said, you know, I was going to be a preacher too. <laughs> and I just laughed under my breath, and I said, the reason you're not a preacher is because God didn't call you to be one. That's why you're an attorney. If God has called you into ministry, you can't do anything but minister. I, I've had men to offer me jobs. I, I don't say this braggingly or arrogantly. I, I had a, he's a dear friend. He'll be at the conference this year. He offered me $150,000 20 years ago to be his sales manager. And I said, I can't do it. He said, why do you mean you can't do it? I said, I quit secular work to be a minister. I gave up my job with the Freightliner Corporation to be a preacher. I gave up the things, and it's not worldly that I gave up a job, but I sanctified, I set myself apart for God's work. This was in 1978, 79. So I gave up back then making 30... I was thirty-some thousand dollars a year, and my first year as an evangelist, I made eight thousand nine hundred dollars. I mean, I went from doing really well to not doing so well, but that's okay. I never missed a meal, never missed a house payment, never missed a car payment. The only time I ever missed a meal was if I was fasting and praying and seeking God. That's the difference. God has always met my needs because I committed my life to Him. Not to this, not to that, not to what I wanted, not to what I'm trying to build. You've you got people trying to build a ministry. If you're called of God, God will put ministry in your hand. You know, Paul said in the First Timothy 2, 12, he said, I thank God who hath enabled me, counting me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I thank God. See, Paul, Paul knew where it all came from. It, first of all, it came from God. 
He says, I said, First Timothy 2, 12, it's First Timothy 1, 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who put Paul in ministry? He said, our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that's who put me in ministry. Not a man. That's why First Timothy 5 and 22 says, lay hands on no man suddenly. That don't mean jerk him up by the nap of the neck and beat his brains out. That's not what that's talking about. You don't lay your hands on anybody, me as a minister, as, as, a, as a God-called ordained minister. I don't lay my hands on other men and say, I'm going to set you forth for the ministry for the work of God until I fully know your life. Know them that labor among you. Today, all of that protocol is thrown out the door. It's gone. So what has replaced true messengers, true prophets of God, false prophets, false teachers, false pastors, that's what has filled the void. That's what's took place. That's why we're in the mess that we're in today. So Jesus says many false prophets are going to arise, and what are they going to do? They're going to deceive many. It's not by happenstance. When I was seeking the Lord for the name of this conference to entitle it, Age of Deception. Why? Because this is the era, this is the time of deception. So, okay, now we've got, we got two purported men of God. One is a charlatan, one is a fraud, one is a sham, the other is sent from God. So we see here that Hananiah, he says in verse 2, here in Jeremiah 28, 2, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Every statement there, every word there is a lie. None of that was true. And I'm going to show you from the word of God that all of this was false prophecy. God was not going to break Nebuchadnezzar, but rather God was going to bless Nebuchadnezzar. God was going to empower Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to read that here in Jeremiah chapter 27, verses 6 through 22. So if those of you listening out there have your Bible, Jeremiah 27, beginning at verse 6. And now I have given all these lands... Into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him, and his son, and his son's son. Now, when you read Daniel chapter 5 about Baal's Chazar, that was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Now, we don't know a lot about Nebuchadnezzar's son. But this is the first scripture that we have a clarity that it was the father, Nebuchadnezzar, his son, I'm not sure what his name was, I don't remember, but then his son, which would be Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, was Belshazzar. So here in verse 7, Jeremiah 27, 7, And all nations shall serve him, Nebuchadnezzar, his son, I don't remember his name, and his son's sons, Belshazzar, 
until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. So the Medo-Persian Empire came in, took down Babylon, tore everything down, and so they served themselves from the blessings that God had bestowed upon Nebuchadnezzar because it says, I'll give you all the lands. I'll give you the beast of the field. You're going to be blessed. What does Hananiah prophesy? No. He said, I'm going to break Nebuchadnezzar. But God had already prophesied distinctly separate beforehand, before Hananiah came along with all these false prophecies. Let's go back to Jeremiah 27, verse 8. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. What did God do to Israel through Nebuchadnezzar? He beat them to a pulp. He beat them down to nothing. Now, that's where I have fear for America. You can put one man in a White House, and, 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 and I don't doubt a bit in my mind that God did not put Donald Trump in the White House. All men, whether they believe it or not, serve at God's whim or God's caprice. However, whatever God wills, whatever God desires, we're all subject to God, every one of us. And God can use a jackass like he did with Balaam to talk to him because he's so hard-headed, he's going to go and do against what God has told him not to do. But he was covetous. And that's why the book of Jude talks about Balaam and his greed for reward. See, he had an ulterior motive. Let's go to verse 9, Jeremiah 27, 9. Therefore hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to the enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon. Does that not sound like the prophets of today? Hey, don't worry, pal. Everything's going to be great. And what do we do? We see the flourishing of abortion. We see the flourishing of sodomy. We see the flourishing of same-sex marriage. We see, we see McCabe Sunday night on 60 Minutes. That steely-eyed liar, that, that guy sat there and, and he, was, he, he lied in perpetuity. You can see it. You can see it. And, and this is where we are. And is it getting better? No, folks. It's only getting worse. For they prophesy a lie unto you to remove you far from your land, that I should drive you out, and ye should perish. This is what false prophets do to their people that follow them. They remove you far from your land. Now, I'm going to take that in a spiritual application. They remove you from the land that flows with milk and honey, the kingdom of God. And because they prophesy lies, and you embrace, you believe their lives, God says, I have to drive you out, and you should perish. Now let's look at the New Testament, John uh, 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but should have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the false prophets are the ones that cause the people to be removed from their land. They are driven out, and they perish. But now watch this, verse 11. But the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, those will I let remain still in their own land, saith the Lord. And they shall till it and dwell therein. Did you know everyone didn't have to go into captivity? But every time God would bring a measure of judgment to Israel, they would get more calloused, more hard-hearted. They wouldn't listen. So there were three deportations. And, and there at the last, God took all the vessels. He burned his own house down. The house of God was burned down. God, God brought this to pass. See, do you think God delights in burning his own house down? Why would God burn his house down? It's not worth saving. This nation has almost come to a place, this nation, America, is not hardly worth saving. You know, God would be a blessing to America to obliterate, to take out Washington and the corruption. And I've said this before. Who's to say God doesn't raise up a foreign country and says to the American people, we're going to liberate you from your government of tyranny? And there would be 50, 55% of the people in America right now that would get on board and say, hey, take it down and we'll start over. Get us set free from this, this tyranny and this vile, wicked government, and we'll start over. That's what's happening down in Venezuela. People say, oh, that'll never happen in America. It's happening all around us, folks. It, it, it's all around us, and we're like, oh, this is America. It can't never happen here. I, you know, it, 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 people are so corrupt. Our forefathers, if you just took the people that were in the Congress back in the 60s, they would puke their guts out if they saw what's going on in the Congress at this time frame. They wouldn't believe it. It, it, it was corrupt back then. Don't misunderstand me. It was corrupt back then. But it's gone so far. Go back to the 20s and 30s. Go back, go back before 1900. They wouldn't believe what this country is, what this country represents. Now they want everybody want to build a DNA database on, on, on every person. It's tyranny, and we're like the frog in the pot, and it's boiling. It's getting worse, and and see what's happening across the world. It is systemic. There is a lack of leadership worldwide. Leadership comes from the constituency. Once the constituency becomes so vile, so wicked, so corrupt, then when you're voting in people that are already like that, they're not going to get like that. They're already like that. By the time a politician gets out of, and, and don't take this wrong, I know there'll be those who'll get upset, but the time you get out of city, county, state government, and you make it to the Washington, you've, you've done some, they just put the mayor a couple years ago here in Charlotte, North Carolina, they, they put him in prison. He was, uh, he was skimming off of bids on building projects in Charlotte. He was the mayor. And he touted himself, I'm going to be the most upright, transparent mayor that you've ever seen. And they did an FBI sting, and 
brought in a suitcase, a briefcase full of money, and, and they got him. And he went to prison. So when you start out like that down here, you know, trying to pull the billing permit, and you go in there and you tell the guy, you know, I'll give you $500. I know I'm not supposed to get this permit, but if you'll, if you'll do this, I'll give you $500. And he says, you know what, I'll take it. You know, I had a, I had a, a narcotics agent one time confiding me about what was going on in narcotics. He was a he was a narc. He was undercover. He said, David. At the time, he said, we we make you know in the mid to late uh, thirty thirty thousand dollars, thirty five thirty eight thousand dollars. He said, how do you keep a narcotics agent honest when the purveyors of these drugs say, hey, listen. If you'll turn your head tonight, I'll give you $200,000. And the narcotic agent says, you know, I can't stop all this anyway, so what's he going to hurt? You know, I'll just do this one time. I'll get my salary. I'll get my pension. I'm going to turn my head one time, and I'm going to rake in a quarter of a million dollars. As I said, by the time you get to Washington, this is, this is the lifestyle. This is, this is how it is. This, this is what's happening. So this is, this is where we are in America today. Watch this. Verse 12. Jeremiah twenty seven twelve. I spake also to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon, and serve him and his people, and live. Disobedience causes death. Rebellion causes death. Jeremiah is telling the king Zedekiah, Listen, humble yourself, prostrate yourself, do what you need to do. You won't die, but you will live. Verse 13, why will ye die, thou and thy people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord hath spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Therefore, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. For I have not sent them, saith the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I might drive you out, that ye may, might perish, ye and the prophets that prophesy unto you. So let's get this clear. Not only do the people perish, but the false prophets perish along with them because they are the liars, and the purveyors of false prophecy. Also, I spake to the priest, and to all this people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hearken not to the words of your prophets that prophesy unto you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house shall now shortly be brought again from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. Hearken not unto them. Serve the king of Babylon, and live. Wherefore should this city be made or be laid waste. Why will you do this and allow Jerusalem to be laid waste? But if they be prophets, and if the Lord, word of the Lord be with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and at Jerusalem go not to Babylon. Now this was the test. I knew I wouldn't get through this. This was the test, Pastor. You, you, with what you just said there, uh, just allow me to say this. I don't. I don't. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but we have made provision 
There is no top of the hour break. You can extend as long as you would like. If you are constrained by schedule pro- uh, issues, you can you can cut off at the top of the hour, but feel free to continue for as long as you like, Pastor. Go ahead. Well, if you, I'll finish it. Yes, sir. It'll, it'll, it'll take probably most of the rest of the other hour. Pastor, if if, if you if, if that's okay with you, we will be blessed by that. Okay, I got the time. Okay, sir. Like you said in the beginning, all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. No, I, I didn't mean to so, interrupt, but, if, but thank you. Okay. No, that's okay. All right. Uh, okay, so I'm, we're not going to take a break. We're just going to go on. Just uh, go on right, as long as you need to. We're, we're here all okay. night. All right. Okay. But if they be prophets, and if the word of the Lord be with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and at Jerusalem go not to Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars and concerning the sea and concerning the bases and concerning the residue of the vessels that remain in this city. If these men have any clout with God, he said, tell these prophets to pray and intercede. And if they are the men of God that they claim they are, he said, God will not allow the rest of the vessels to be taken. He won't allow Jerusalem to be destroyed. He won't do it. Which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took not when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yea, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there shall they be until the day that I visit them, saith the Lord. Then will I bring them up and restore them to this place. Here in chapter 27 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is speaking under the unction, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And he's saying to the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, to the priest and the other prophets, if you're right and you have a walk with God, pray, intercede, and if the word of the Lord is in your mouth, this is not going to happen. And God will also not only not allow these vessels to be taken, Jerusalem to be burned, but what vessels have already been taken to Babylon, God will bring them back. Now watch this. Now, the Bible, you need to understand, is not in absolute chronological order. So I'm going to take you back, and I'm going to try to tie these together to help you understand what's about to happen here. In Second Chronicles chapter 36, Second Chronicles chapter 36, we want to begin in verse 11. And we're going to pick up with that, this young king named Zedekiah. Second Chronicles chapter 36, beginning at verse 11. Zedekiah was one and twenty years old when he began to reign, and reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. That is devastating. You say, what's devastating about that? Eleven means judgment, chaos, and disorder. 
In the 11th year of his reign, God sent chaos, judgment, and disorder again in Jerusalem and in Israel, but it was far worse this time. Verse 12, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. You see, here in Second Chronicles, they're addressing Jeremiah. So I want you to understand these, these passages are overlapping. I'm not, I hope I pray to God I don't confuse anyone tonight. But you get the message. Verse 13. He, Zedekiah, also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck. He hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. What made Zedekiah become that wicked king? That lying false prophet. He said, don't worry about this. The vessels that are now in Babylon are coming back. This, this, this captivity will be over in two years. Don't worry about it. We all know it lasted 70 consecutive years. But the false prophets were lying to the people. The false prophets made the people rebel. The false prophets made the people revolt. That's what false prophets do. False pastors preach lies and tell people you can live anyway, but you can still go to heaven in your sin. That's a lie. That's not truth. When you live against God's Word, when you live against the Spirit of God, when you oppose the Holy Spirit, somebody's put that rebellious spirit of revolt in your heart. It's been a false pastor. It's been a false preacher. I get accused of being the false pastor. But I know better because I know the truth, and the truth lives in me, and the Spirit of God lives in me, and I give you all the Word of God. I don't pick and choose. People say I do. I'm, I'm giving so much Bible tonight, it begs description. I'm trying to get you to see the picture. I hadn't got to that point yet, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it. Parents don't reprove and don't rebuke their children till they start seeing wrong. As long as the child is obedient, as long as the child is not rebellious, as long as the child is not arrogant, the parent doesn't just jump on them for nothing. There has to be a reason. There has to be a cause. I never just jumped up, pulled my belt off, and wore my children out. But I had warned, and I had warned, and I had warned, and the time came. I had to keep my word and discipline them. That's the difference. God does not send prophets out to beat us, to malign us, to castigate us, but to warn us when we start getting off of track continually. Then, you, then God speaks up. God says something through the messengers. But all the prophets mostly in the land of America today are prospering, are preaching and prophesying prosperity and blessings, and everything's going to turn around, everything's going to get better. I want to believe that more than anybody knows tonight. I want to believe that. But I'm struggling because 11 means judgment, disorder, chaos. Zedekiah reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. Verse 13, he also rebelled against the king Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God, but he stiffened his neck. See, Nebuchadnezzar made uh, Zedekiah promise him he would submit to him. 
See, it wasn't in Nebuchadnezzar's heart to do what he was doing. He wanted to be kind. He wanted to be gracious. So he says, hey, man, get in line. I'll let you still be king of Jerusalem. I'll let you be king of Israel. Judah, you can still do your thing. I'm I'm, I'm not going to fight you. Just submit to my authority. When God had previously said, I've given Nebuchadnezzar all the land, all the power of all the beasts of the field, I've given everything to him. God put that in Nebuchadnezzar's hands. But Zedekiah, he rebelled, he stiffened his neck, he hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Now watch this. Moreover, all the chief of the priest and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. How many people are polluting what is called church today? They look like nightclubs. They look like Hollywood. They got lights. They got strobe machines. They got fog. They got a nightclub atmosphere. It's not holy. It's not sanctified. It's not consecrated. It's not dedicated. And I I know this just chaps some tonight when I preach like this or talk like this. I'm trying to tell you this. I'm just reading what God said. These are abominations of the heathen, and you've brought the heathen ways into the house of God. You've polluted the house of the Lord. That's what's going on. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up quickly, see, rising up quickly and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. So the point here in this verse, verse 15, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 15. God doesn't wait till it gets bad before he starts warning. You don't wait till a child is absolutely, totally out of control before you say or you do something. You start maybe, I'm going to ground you, I'm going to take away this, I'm going to take away that. When I was growing up, they didn't take away anything but your pride. They, they beat the mess out of you. You said, they said you're going to straighten up, aren't you? And if you broke down and cried too hard, they'd say, hey, wait a minute, I'll give you something to cry about. You ever been told that, Doug? <laughs> many times, many times. <laughs> Joe says, yeah, I'll give you, keep crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, that's what God says. But what did he do? He rose up early. He, he, he sent messengers quick. He didn't waste no time. Why? He's just. He's fair. He's honest. He, he gives ample time to get all this stuff right. So he, he rose up quickly because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. So he had compassion on the people. He had compassion on his dwelling place. The dwelling place is the house of God. Remember Second Chronicles 6 and verse 6. I have set my name over Jerusalem. This was God's house. This was the house that Solomon dedicated in Second Chronicles chapter 7, and the glory of God came down and filled the temple. This was God's house. He said, I put my name over this house, Solomon, and the glory of God filled that place. But they began to sin. They begin to do things. They begin to live a particular way. They begin to to change the commandments of God, and they begin to water everything down. And now, we, in like in America, they, we have a greasy, sloppy grace, a playboy, thin religion that you can live anyway, and you're still going to heaven. Even the Pope says, hey, if you're an atheist, don't worry. You're still going. That's not true. 
And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messenger. See, God sent his messengers, real men of God. Why? He had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. You don't despise David Langford's words. You despise the word that I preach. I don't have any words. This is God's word. You despise that word. And they mocked them. Now, you may mock me. I've been mocked so much, it's unbelievable. I, that doesn't bother me. Yeah, they, they mock me all the time. But the problem is you're, you, you're despising the word of God. And they misused his prophets. Uh, that's, that's maltreatment. They, they mistreated the, the, the men of God. Because they were preaching the truth, and they didn't want to hear it. So what do you do? You find you a church that will preach according to your lifestyle, what you want, what you desire, what you covet. They're going to give you just what you want. That's going to be a friendly seeker church. We don't want you to come here and pray and repent. We want you to come here. We want you to feel good. We want you to come back. And, oh, by the way, when you come back, Bring your checkbook, okay? Because i got to have your money. Because i got to do things for the Lord and for the ministry. And i got I got to have your money. So you, you come on back, and I won't ever say anything that would be remotely uh, condemning in any way, because I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to come back every week. What did they do? They misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. The word remedy there in the Hebrew means there was no opportunity for a healing. There was no opportunity for revival. There was no opportunity for restoration. It had gone too far. It couldn't be redeemed. It couldn't be brought back. It could not be bought back. It had gone so far. God says, I I can't save it. Now, it's hard to believe that a nation, a, a, a country, uh, could get so vile and so evil that God says there's no remedy. That's like, you know, somebody that's a cancer patient and the doctor says it's metastasized, there's, there's just nothing left to do. We just keep you comfortable. That's, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to try to make you comfortable. There was no, there was no remedy Therefore, he brought upon them the king of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans and the Babylonians were the same people, Nebuchadnezzar. Now watch what God did. Who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. We've heard all of these stories, conspiracies of events taking place at mega churches where they're going to massacre people. And, and, and churches, because they're there, they don't have much protection, uh, uh, much security, whatever. God said here in his word, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. Now, watch this. It's no longer his sanctuary. It's their sanctuary. Do you see that? Now, before... It was God's house, because he put his name over. But once it becomes an abomination, once the Spirit of God leaves an institution, an organization, a denomination, 
Once God leaves, it's yours. He said, I'm going to leave you to your own devices. Samson wist not that God had left him. He, he was left in his own hands and because of his own corruption and willful disobedience and willful rebellion against what God told him not to do. He suffered profuse consequences. Why? God says, you've you got to own this. It's yours now. So now this is their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young men or maiden, old man, or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand, talking about Nebuchadnezzar's hand. But what does it say before that, though, back here in verse 15? Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. See, we see that it became no longer his dwelling place, but it became their sanctuary. We see here that now he had compassion on his people, but in verse 17, and had no compassion upon young man, maiden, old man, or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. Here we go. Verse 18, 2 Chronicles 36, verse 18. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and of his princess, all these he brought to Babylon. Did not Jeremiah just prophesy in Jeremiah chapter 27? But if they be prophets, and if the word of the Lord be with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and at Jerusalem go not to Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars and concerning the sea, concerning the bases. The sea would be the uh, polished labor uh, behind the brazen altar. It was, a, it was a brass, big, huge brass bowl had water in it. It's called the polished labor. That's the sea here. And concerning the sea, I went back to Jeremiah 27, verse 19. The sea, and concerning the bases, the bases that held like the sea, and concerning the residue of the vessels that remain in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took not when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yea, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord, and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there shall they be until the day, that would be seventy years, that I visit them, saith the Lord. Then will I bring them up and restore them to this place. Let's go back to Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 18. And all the vessels... Of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. You see, those were false prophets. They didn't have enough power with God to intercede and stop it. But Jeremiah concluded there in chapter 27 of Jeremiah, he says, they shall be carried to Babylon, and there they will stay until the 70 years of captivity have been finished. Looking back at verse 18, 2 Chronicles 36, 18. 
and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon, and they burnt the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing? Jerusalem had a wall about it. America needs a border wall, but they're breaking it down because this is the type of judgment. Broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof, and them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. There it is. I've, I've taken you to Hananiah's false prophecy in chapter 28. I've showed you the true prophecy in chapter 27 of Jeremiah. I've taken you back to Second Chronicles 36 and tied in the prophecies, how they were going to happen. Now let's go back to Jeremiah 28, verse 3. Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. See, he lied. Hananiah lied. Nebuchadnezzar took a portion of the vessels to Babylon, and he left a portion in Jerusalem. Hananiah says, in two years, all the vessels, they're coming back. But that was never true. Verse 4, Jeremiah 28, 4. I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah, that went into Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. I shared in Jeremiah 27 there how he said, I've given, Jer I've given Nebuchadnezzar all nations, all nations. I've given him all the lands, and I've given him the beast of the field. And all, everything is going to serve Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah 28, verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah, in the presence of all the priests, in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord. And that's when, verse 6, the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, Hananiah. Amen. Praise God. I pray to God, the Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words which thou hast prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. And I hate to hear that next phrase. Nevertheless, hear thou now this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people. The prophets that have been before me and before thee of old prophesied both against many countries, against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilences. All of the great men of God that have prophesied through the years, A.A. A. Allen, Dudeman, Henry Groover, there's been so many men that have named, uh, that I just named, that have prophesied judgment on America. But what, does, what happens in America now? More false prophecies. 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
Deception is Satan's greatest tool. He will use deception to get people in a compromised situation and a place, a state of mind, where they don't recognize the truth when the truth of God is preached. I know. I deal with it. I preach pure Bible, and people will still argue with me. Now, that's not what that means. There's no such thing as a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. I had a young man the other day. God bless him. His name was Daniel. He, he asked me to read or look at something, and I, I looked at it for about five minutes, and I turned it off. This guy was saying the beast. Now, listen to this. This guy was saying the beast, the Antichrist. He said, we're the beast. And, and I understood the, 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 the carnality, if you want to look at it that way, the carnality. But if I am the beast, I'm a son of perdition, and I'm damned. I'm not the beast. There is a man coming that's called the Antichrist. People can laugh at you and mock at you and scoff you. I told this young man, I said, look at Europe and look at China. Look at the Far East. They don't know anything about God. They don't know anything about the Bible. That Nobody's preaching the mark of the beast. Nobody's preaching the Antichrist. That's why it's going to be so easy for the world to take the mark of the beast. Only guys like me that are left that preach this stuff. When we're dead and gone, when I'm dead and gone, who's going to be telling you all of this? You think Joy Osteen can sit down tonight and do what I just did in Jeremiah 28, 27, 2 Chronicles 36, and put this together? I'm not tooting my horn. I'm saying, where's the men that's going to keep preaching this stuff? They don't even know the Bible. How can they preach what they don't know? And I've said it before and I'll say it again. A preacher cannot take his congregation any further than he's been himself. And I know for a fact these guys ain't been halfway around the teacup, as my papa would say. They ain't been nowhere near around the teacup. Yet they got mega, mega congregations and mega money. Mega money, and they still beg for more money. True prophets of old, Jeremiah said, there in verse 7, 8, and 9, here in Jeremiah 28, he said, the prophets of old, they prophesied against countries. They prophesied against kingdoms. They prophesied war. They prophesied evil. They prophesied of pestilence. All true prophets prophesied the judgment of God. Where are the prophets today prophesying the judgment of God? They're not there. True prophets always warn the people of God. This is why he said there in Second Chronicles 36, he said, I rose up early. I sent you messengers to warn you. Ezekiel 3.17, son of man, I have made thee therefore a watchman of the house of Israel. Therefore hear the words at my mouth and give them warning from me. Give them warning from me. I'm trying to warn tonight. There'll be those in my spirit, there'll be those of you... You, you will repent, you will search your heart, you will cry out to God. You'll say, God, if there's anything in my life, get it out. If I don't know it, tell me about it so I can get it out. There'll be those of you, this will go on your back like duck water on a duck's back. It'll just run off. It don't mean anything because you don't believe it. You don't believe what the Bible says. As I said earlier, as a parent... Did you ever warn your children when they were obedient, when they were doing right, when they were pleasing? No, you didn't warn them. You didn't have to warn them. There was no reason to warn them. You warned them when you saw rebellion and you 
that's when you begin to give them warnings. You didn't just start whipping them or disciplining them. You begin to warn them first. You've heard me say this. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, there are 68 Bible verses. The first 14 verses speak of blessings. The remaining 54 verses speak of curses. Almost a one to five ratio. What does that mean? Explain that. Live right. You don't have any problems. We've took prayer out of school. Anything that's got anything to do with God, we hate it. We, we, we come against it. I want to say to the atheists that may be listening tonight, if there's no God, why does it bother you if I talk about God? Why, 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 I mean, if it's not real, if it's nonsense... How how can that really disturb you? It's because there's still enough God consciousness left in you that it bothers you, and the devil's trying to remove that small element of consciousness, God consciousness that is left, so he can get you to become an apostate, a reprobate. I should say reprobate, not an apostate, but a reprobate, that you'll never know who God is. That's what Satan does. Christians are the ones who apostatize. Christians walk away from God. But if you've never known God then the devil's trying to get that little bit of God knowledge that you have. He wants to get that out of you so that you become a reprobate, that you are void of any kind of judgment. You know, I fear for this this little actor on Empire. You say, why do you fear for him? Watch him. Watch him when the net starts closing in. Watch how he reacts. Watch how he responds. And you'll know why I'm saying what I'm saying. 68 verses in Deuteronomy 28. 68 verses. Only 15 speak of blessing. 54 speak of curses. Live right, you're blessed. Start living in sin. Start rebelling. Start breaking the Lord's commandments, the word of God. And here comes the warnings. Now here's the problem. We've gotten so far removed from God There's very little warning because they don't want the guys that warn in their churches because it turns over the apple cart. So don't don't, don't let that guy come to your church because he's going to preach the judgment of God. He's going to hurt you. So you keep a guy like Pastor Langford out of your church because he's going to upset your church when he gets done preaching. He's going to preach the word of God, and you don't want to be upset. Things are going too good, so stay away from that guy. Why do we warn We warn because there's an impending judgment. That's why we warn. That's why we preach repentance. I've prayed for years and years and years. God, give me tens of thousands of souls. I don't know how it can happen, but I know that God can do anything. If Mary can conceive by the Holy Ghost of God, God can do anything. God is the God of all flesh. He said, is there anything too hard for me? Jesus said in Mark 1 and verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. People need to repent and believe what I'm saying tonight. Luke 13 verse 3 says, nay, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Did you know this judgment on Israel could have been avoided had they repented? 
Why do you think God there in Second Chronicles 36 sent the messengers? Why did he send the prophets and said, hey, thus saith the Lord. This is what's going to happen. See, the devil raises up his crowd and says, thus saith the Lord. You're going to have peace. You're going to have prosperity. You're going to have blessing. Jeremiah says, amen. How would to God it was so? See, he was a real man of God, and he knew with the sins of the nation, the sins of the prophets, the sins of the priest, it couldn't be because there was too much sin in the land. Jeremiah 28, verses 10 and 11. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it, And Hananiah spake in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Why in the world is a man wearing a yoke around his neck? Because God is always a step ahead of the devil's false prophets. Jeremiah 27, verse 2. Thus saith the Lord to me, God is speaking to Jeremiah, Make thee bonds and yokes and put them upon thy neck. So what does Jeremiah do? He creates a wooden yoke, like you would put on a, an animal. What does he do with it? He puts it around his own neck. Now, I I don't know that Jeremiah knew exactly everything behind that. I know he understood they were going into a type of bondage where they would be yoked and saddled down. But I don't know that Jeremiah may have known why God wanted him to wear it, because God was going to use that as an example to the false prophet. So the false prophet is standing there, Hananiah, in front of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is just standing there, uh, you might say, in a casual, calm demeanor. Hananiah reaches over. He takes the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck. See, God knows what's in men's hearts. Hananiah thinks he's going to make a fool out of Jeremiah. He takes that yoke off of Jeremiah's neck, and what does he do? He breaks it. He probably snapped it over his knee. And he spake in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord. He was saying, Now this is what God's going to do. So will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. He made that yoke, put it on his own personal neck, Hananiah takes it off and breaks it and says, that's what God's going to do to King Nebuchadnezzar. I guarantee you, Jeremiah walked away grief-stricken and grief-smitten. His heart was broken because now he saw the reality of what was really going to happen because of the rebellion and the sin. It wasn't going to get better. He knew that. It was going to get worse. Now, let me, let me say something here. I would be derelict if I told you I knew everything that God was about to do. But I do know this. If God, and I've said this since 9-11, that's 2001, 18 years ago. If God 
did not judge America incrementally, we would be a Sodom and Gomorrah. There would be nothing left. But God is a God of compassion. God is a God of mercy. And incrementally, God has allowed things to come on America. And he's allowed things to happen, whether it's hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, bad weather. The, 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 the weather right now is very unruly. It's, it's a, it, I just lost power 15 minutes before we came on the air. We got thunderstorms and lightning down here, and it's 33 degrees. I, I said, Lord, don't, don't let me get knocked off the air where we can't do the program tonight. Things are changing. There is coming another measure of judgment. And I believe this will be the final element of, of allowed judgment to get us to turn back to God. But I know in my heart there are some people that have already gone beyond judgment. That's why they're reprobates. Uh, Romans 1 and 28, even if they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. If you keep going the way you're going, you're going to get where you're going. And you're not going to like when you get there. You're not going to like what you get. And that's what's happening to this nation right now. So Hananiah, he takes this yoke, he breaks it, and of course he lies, and it says, Thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations, within the space of two full years. In other words, in two years, this is what's going to happen. Jeremiah went his way. Then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet, after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. So God had already set the stage in Jeremiah 27 and 2 for Jeremiah to make a yoke, put it on his neck, he knew in Jeremiah 28, Hananiah would challenge him, pull the yoke off his neck and break it and say, Thus saith the Lord, this is what God's going to do to Nebuchadnezzar. But he says something here that's very unusual. He talks about a yoke of iron, a yoke of iron. I've been around farms and farm equipment about all my life, since I was 11 years old. I've never seen an iron yoke. I've seen all types of wooden yokes, whatever, cows, oxen, whatever you're trying to yoke something up. They're always made out of wood. And Jeremiah says, but this is going to be different. This is going to be a yoke of iron, a yoke of iron. Why? God was demonstrating how harsh the judgment would be. You, you've never walked up to a yoke of oxen and seen this huge, massive yoke made out of iron around their necks. It's just too—it's too grievous. It's too heavy. That—that that lower beam is about the size of a six by six post. It's bigger than a four by four post. So it's about a six by six post. And they got the loops that go over the ox's neck the two oxen, and it goes down, the, the, that, that circular part goes down through that big beam, and that's how they keep the yoke on the both oxen necks, and they walk in harmony. They're yoked up. But you never, if you had something of, of iron that big, that, that, that mammoth, that would burden the oxen down. They couldn't do their job. 
But God says, I'm going to make yokes of iron. This is going to be very, very grievous. He says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. This is not, do you want to? No, no, God says you're going to serve him and have given him the beast of the field also. Verse 15, Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. This chapter starts off, again, as I said earlier in the program, in verse 1, Jeremiah 28, 1. It's in the fourth year and in the fifth month. In two months, Hananiah has died. Why? He had taught the people lies. He had taught the people how to revolt against God. He had taught the people how to rebel against God, and so they did. This is what they did. Now, when I was sharing from Second Chronicles chapter 36, we talked about Zedekiah. He was the king. He ruled over Judah. He was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years. The judgment, the chaos, the disorder came while he was king. This did not have to happen. Because Jeremiah was said, hey, if everyone will submit to Nebuchadnezzar, because this is going to be a long duration. He said, I don't have time to get all this. But he told Israel, plant your vineyards, plant your gardens, marry, have children. You're going to be there 70 years. So, so don't stop procreating. Keep on. But Zedekiah, because of Hananiah, his heart became hard. Now, here's, here's the problem. When you're listening to the wrong ministries and the wrong preachers, you may not realize it, but your heart becomes calloused. Your heart becomes hard because they're lying to you and they're telling you things that are not true. Not only do they suffer the judgment of God like Hananiah having died, but they damn souls with them. They take souls with them to hell. That's what Hananiah did. He suffered Zedekiah... And he troubled Zedekiah's life terribly because he listened to what Hananiah had to say. He was telling Zedekiah, don't worry. Two years, this is over with. It's no big deal. But let's go on. Jeremiah 39, verses 6 and 7. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah and Riblah before his eyes. Also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. So watch this. The last thing that Zedekiah witnessed before he was made blind was Nebuchadnezzar murdering, killing 
his two sons, Shmuel, right there in front of him. After Zedekiah witnessed that, he put out Zedekiah's eyes. He then bound him with chains. Now, you know, that's about as cruel as it gets for a dad to stand there and watch somebody just slaughter and butcher his two sons. And as soon as he gets, they get through being slaughtered, they go over there and they gouge out the father's eyes. And that's the last thing he saw. That was the, in, in his mind, that was the last thing he witnessed. That's, that's, the, that's the last thing he saw. That's so tragic. That, that, that is, I, I don't have words to describe what that man must have felt, must have felt when that took place. Now let's go to Ezekiel. I'm trying to help you to tie all this together to see how when God says something, you can have all of the false prophets prophesying, but what the Lord really says is what's going to come to pass. Ezekiel chapter 12 Verses 11 through 13. Say, I am your sign, like as I have done. So shall it be done unto them. They shall remove and go into captivity. And the prince that is among them shall bear upon his shoulder in the twilight and shall go forth. They shall dig through the wall to carry out thereby. He shall cover his face that he see not the ground with his eyes. My net also will I spread upon him. This is Zedekiah. He shall be taken in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. Zedekiah never saw Babylon. Why? They blinded him. They gouged out his eyes. They put chains on him, brought him to Babylon, and he died there. God prophesied every bit of this. He prophesied it down to the details <coughs> excuse me, of what was going to happen. But instead of listening to the man of God, they listened to the false prophets. Because let me tell you something about false prophets. They never prophesied doom. They never prophesied gloom. They never prophesied judgment. They never prophesied repentance. Never. Never. Because they want you to trust in the arm of the flesh. Anybody that would trust, and Jeremiah said it, a man trust in the arm of the flesh, woe be to that man. But this is, this is what's happening in America. This is what's taking place. So we are seeing a plethora of false prophets, a plethora of false prophecies. I know right now in my spirit... It is, hard. it is hard to discern the hour where we are, what's going on, because there's so many say it's, it's good times are here to stay. Things are going to get great. Uh, you know, Trump's going to be elected another term. He's going to appoint more um, Supreme Court justices. But where's the repentance message? Where's the judgment message? Where's the message if we don't stop murdering babies and start, stop pushing uh, sodomy and, and uh, same-sex marriage? When, when is God going to step up and say, hey, I've had enough, and bam? When's God going to deal with it? Uh, some of you saw the article the other day 
I believe it was here in North Carolina, the, one of the incinerator companies. They were lying about putting aborted fetuses, really aborted babies, in dumpsters and putting them in the landfill. And there was a company, and I forget the name of the company, but there were some taking those hazard bags, and they were incinerating them, which is no more than a holocaust, the ovens in uh, uh, Dachau. That's all that. That's just a modern-day concentration camp, per se, and then they burn them. You know, it's so disgusting to watch how people try to put a pretty picture on sin and murder and and crime and, and make it look good. I never failed to be amazed at how they, just just because it's got a, the word medical or a biohazard bag, that, it, that somehow it's made it okay. But that's not true. That, that's just not true. The point is, that blood is being shed. It's going into the earth. And there in Hosea 4, 2, he said, blood toucheth blood. Let me say this tonight before I, before I, before I close. If Donald Trump puts another Supreme Court justice on the United States Supreme Court, and they do overturn Roe v. Wade, I believe that is the linchpin to start civil war. I believe, and I said this before Trump was elected, that if Trump got elected, and you go out and you try to take back the land, the territory that the devil has gained, That's why they'll rebel, and they'll fight you tooth and toenail not to relinquish it. This is what we're about to witness. Did you see the, uh, was it a lieutenant with the Coast Guard, I believe it was? He was getting a list of names, addresses on the Supreme Court, senators, and they were all liberal senators, if I remember. Every senator whose address he was seeking uh, Kamala Harris, uh, Warren, all of them were liberals. This is this is and this guy had a cachet of, of weapons. This is what's out there waiting because we're being lied to, not only from the White House and the Supreme Court and the Congress, but now it's in our pulpits. We're being lied to in our pulpits. You think you could get the truth? I mean, the media's gone. But Doug, that's why you, you guys are doing such an awesome job in telling the people the truth. But you think if you go to the house of God, the man of God would tell you, thus saith the Lord, and he would say what's coming. Because it's in the scriptures. But well, you know what they're doing? They're taking away all the elements of truth. All the elements of truth. I, I talked to Steve. I think him and Tom Horn were on last night. And they were talking about the third temple. You got people who don't believe that's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, whether you believe it or not. Jesus is coming back. The scriptures are going to be fulfilled. There's going to be a period known as great tribulation. All of this is going to happen, whether we believe it or not. It doesn't matter. The Bible says in Numbers twenty-three nineteen, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of men that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Now, God's good on his word, whether it's a word of judgment, a word of wrath, a word of chaos. It doesn't matter. God is going to keep his word. Men don't keep their word. You like your health care, you keep your health care. You like your doctor, you keep your doctor. You know, we just passed another piece of legislation, had a thousand pages of it. You know what? Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House again, nobody read it. 
time before that, 2,500 pages, nobody read it. It's like, are you kidding me? You expect me to have faith in anything that you say from the Speaker of House disposition and you pass legislation, you don't even, that's 3,500 pages of legislation that nobody's bothered to read. And you call that normalcy? You, you, you think that, uh, oh, God, and to hear her say, I pray for Donald Trump. Oh, my God. How can you pray and commune with God and still believe like you believe and live like you live? This is, this is how crazy it's getting. And so my question is tonight, are you going to believe the Jeremiah's or are you going to believe the Hananiah's? Because you're going to believe one of them. You're either going to believe the false message or you're going to believe the true message. It's either, you know, I, I, I'm going to say this. This will really, really make some people mad. And, Doug, if you want me to, 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 to not come on ever again, that, that'll, be, that'll be your decision. No, but I think How is not. it when... I'm sorry? Uh, that would never happen. Uh, just <laughs> give it both well, barrels. What, well, here's what I want to say. When I was a sin, when I was in sin, and you too, Doug, both of us, we had free choice to do anything we wanted to do. You want to womanize, you want to get drunk, you want to tell a lie. You did it. You know why? You had the free moral agency to do as you please. How is it after you get saved, now you lose all of that? You, in other words, you, you can't lose out with God. But before you get saved, you had all of these free choices. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they had free choice. They could do anything. We're saying, we're preaching things that are so heretical that I don't have the words to describe it. I still have the free choice right now I had before I got saved. That's just I don't want to do that. I don't want to go out here and get drunk. I don't want to lie. I sat in, a, in a, an attorney's office yesterday over a situation that I've gotten myself into. We all, Doug, we're all going through it, brother. And, and the guy was, the attorney was talking to me in a particular way, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, I am not going to be dishonest. I'm not going to let you say anything that takes away from my testimony of Jesus Christ. Not, not testimony in a court of law. My integrity means more to me. And I said, so you can't say that if you're going to represent me. He, his eyes got as big as a saucer. I said, you know, I don't go around, you know, I walk into an attorney's office and say, hey, I'm a man of God. You know, you, you, here's what you got to do. I, I came to get counsel. I came to get advice and, and to be helped with my situation. But my integrity must stay intact when it's all said and done. And I, and I said, I, you can't say that. I can't do that. That's, that's, that's not the real truth. I've got plenty of truth here that I believe is all I need. But what you're asking now, I can't do that. Well, my point is, if we had all these free choices and do as we wanted to when we were a sinner, how is it I don't still have that once I've become a Christian? It's like now that you get saved, you just lose all of that. You didn't lose any of that. You still have a choice. That's what proves your love. That, that shows your devotion. That shows your discipleship. That shows your discipline. Now that you are saved, now it's a fight. It's a war. You know, we, 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 we war against the flesh because we don't want that old man to have dominion. So we're living in a time when everywhere we look, everything we hear uh, in the world is, 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 is a lie. 
It's a fabrication. It's not factual. It's not true. Uh, I, I always love the phrase, we're cutting deficit spending. You know, in our, in our household, Joe, Doug, if you're spending 100%, that's all you got. So you said, i got to cut back spending. i got to go back to 95% so I can have a little extra money. They're spending 120%, and they said, well, we're going to cut deficit spending, so now we're going to spend 115%. Wait a minute. That's still 15% more than you have. That's a lie. That, see, this is what's happened to us. And then we have those like Hananiah who say, thus saith the Lord. This is how it's going to be. And so my concern right now tonight with what I'm witnessing and, the, and the, how this nation, the indebtedness is getting worse by the day. If you're watching the medals, all of a sudden they're all starting to go up. Because you know why? Nothing is really changing. As I said, you can't put one good apple in a barrel of rotten apples and the good apple change the bad ones. It's not going to happen. It's going to go the other way. The big push of the homosexuality agenda that now somebody in the Trump administration is going to be the overseer. I don't know if that's the correct term, but they're going to oversee this big push. Folks, it's getting worse. And God is trying to warn us, but most of the prophecies today are, it's going to get good, it's going to get great. This is why you cannot be deceived. And you, you can't, you can't, we, we have put, and we've allowed too much emphasis to be put on Donald Trump. He's just a man. He has a nature just like any other man. He just like I, uh, James chapter 5, Elijah was a man subject to like passion as we are. Elijah had passions. He had feelings. He had emotions. He, he wins a victory at Mount Carmel in First uh, Kings chapter 18. And, and the, 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 he, then he goes and he hides himself lest Jezebel kills him. Uh, so so he, 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 he had all the feelings, he had all the uh, symptoms, you might say, of humanity, because he was a human being. He was a man just like anybody else. But therefore he had these passions, see? Uh, uh, James five seventeen. Elijah was a man subject to like passion as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. James is telling us he was a man just like any of us. We can pray the same kind of prayers. Uh, we can pray earnestly for God to move or for God to do something else in our lives. But the point is, passion. Uh, humanity, uh, our makeup, who we are. And if we don't get our, our lives in order with God, we're going to see some bad stuff. And I don't, I don't know how much longer this can, can continue, but uh, there's something out there that's, that's about to break loose again. There's about to be another breach. There's going to be a breaking of water. Um, you know, the, the, the uncertainty... Uh, of of the economy, uh, everything is so tenuous. I'm seeing foreclosures pop up again. I'm like, this is this is not supposed to be happening right now, but it is. It is, which are telling us, if you have any understanding at all, something is showing us as God trying to. Things are not right. They're not what you think they are, and so God is wanting you to listen. Revelation two seven. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
You know, nobody knows who the Antichrist is. There will be a man of sin. Judas Iscariot was the son of perdition. He was a man of sin himself. This is all going to unfold. I don't know when, who it'll be. Nobody knows who the Antichrist will be. All of these things are coming. Don't let nobody talk you out of the truth. And again, I'm going to say it and, and say it as best I can. Be careful who you're listening to. When somebody tells you something, say, give me Bible for that. Give me scripture for what you're espousing, and make them reconcile the scriptures. Make them reconcile what the Word of God says. If there's no millennial reign of Christ, then what's the if 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 if, if this has already taken place? When is the devil going to be chained in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and there'll be no tempter then? Because when he's let out, he's going to go out and deceive the nations again. The Word of God says there in Revelation chapter 20. Right now, he is deceiving the nations. But there's coming a day when God puts him in the bottomless pit, chains him up. He doesn't deceive the nations. But those who come through the millennial reign in the natural, they're going to be loosed. I mean, he's going to be loosed. And those natural-born people are going to have an opportunity to, to rebel against God. And it says in Revelation 20 and verse 8, he, go, he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. So they're going to have their opportunity to sin again. Or not again, but they're going to have their opportunity to sin and rebel against God, just like this, this generation has right now. Except that the devil is not chained, he's not harnessed, he is alive, he is well. That's why we have all the killing, the murder, the crime, the lying, the cheating, all this stuff is going on. Why? The devil's in the earth. But it's coming a day when God's going to put him in a, in a bottomless pit, seal it up for a thousand years. After that, God's going to let him back out and let him have that opportunity. That won't affect the church. That won't affect people like us who are going to get glorified bodies. That, that won't bother you more than uh, a, a, a drop of rain on a duck's back. It, it has nothing to do with you. It's the natural-born people that will be born in that thousand-year period who have known nothing about evil in the context of sin. Because God's government is going to fill the earth. Death will not have yet been destroyed. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. That's the last enemy to be destroyed. And then it will be there in the closing verses of chapter 20 in Revelation. But all this is coming, folks. And, and we're living on the precipice uh, of something happening and taking place. I want you to be ready. My heart is broken. My heart is wrenched. Because I, I don't hear preachers preaching, get ready, repent, get right with God, because that is the message for the hour. And I'm looking for this conference to be a move of God. By the way, uh, uh, we're, 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 we're looking for God to, to show up and minister to people in a very divine way. Uh, I, I don't know if I shared this last week. I can't remember. A lady's coming from the Netherlands. She says she felt the need to be here, that there would be something uh, happen, that she needed to be in, in the conference. Uh, I've got women uh, bringing their children, wanting them to get saved. Uh, by the way, Sheila Zelensky, she's going to be coming as well. She'll be speaking for us. I think it's on Saturday now. Got to redo the schedule a little bit there. But God is is getting ready to do something, and you want to be in what God's doing and not the world. There, God always took care of his people. Uh, there were those that came out in the Exodus that didn't make it, and then there were Joshua and Caleb who he allowed to go in. That generation had to die out. There was another generation 
that was birthed in that 40-year period in the wilderness. They got to go in, but the generation that came out originally across the Red Sea, they weren't allowed except Joshua and Caleb. But the other people that were born during that 40-year period, they got to go in. So we've got to understand there's a kind of a co-mingling right now. Uh, wheat and the tares, it's, it's in the Bible, it's clear, Matthew chapter 13, it's there. And, and God's going to separate the sheep, the goat nations. He's going to separate the wheat and the tares. God's going to do all this. But what people don't want to hear is, when God does the separating, he saves those on the right hand, and he damns those on the left hand. He saves the wheat, he puts the wheat into the garner, that's Matthew three eleven and 12, and again, Matthew 13, but the chaff and the tares, he bundles and binds and burns them. It's there. It's, it's, it, there's no in-between. You either make it or you don't. You either burn in hell or you don't. You go to heaven. You, you, one of the two. And people don't like it that straight. No, that's, just, that's just too straight. No, it's the truth. It's the way God made it. He didn't have 27 elements of fruit on the tree of good and of evil. He had one fruit on that tree. He said, if you eat this fruit, you're going to die. It was the tree of good and of evil, not the tree of good and sin, but the tree of good and of evil. And if, when, when they took that fruit and, it in, and they ingested that, something went into their bloodstream. Something diabolically changed in their body, and they were cut off from God. Sin entered into the first Adam, and they were cut off. And that sin's been carried on to all of us through Adam and Eve's fall. So I, I want to encourage in closing tonight, people... We've had a tremendous, tremendous surge here in the last two weeks on the conference. People are calling. People are registering. People are coming. Um, I'm, I'm looking for a, a, a – well, the Lord – I was in prayer three weeks ago, and the Lord said, how is it you could believe me to help you build two churches, and you can't believe me for this conference? And I, and I repented. I said, forgive me. Forgive me. You have helped me to build two buildings and to stay debt-free. And, and now I'm struggling to believe you for a conference. And all of a sudden, it's like the spigot has been turned on, and people are calling and, and, and wanting to make provision and arrangements. We've had several people uh, making all sorts of plans to get here because they sense in their spirit there's going to be a visitation of God, and they don't want to miss it. And I'm praying. I am, And I want everyone to pray with me. I want to see Hugo DeGarris. Give his heart to Jesus, not 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 to be braggadocious or anything like that. But I want to see the man redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. His impact and his circle would be so overwhelming to say, "Hey, guys, there is a God." That's that's the missing part. That's the particle that we're all looking for. It's real, and 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 this is the things I'm looking for God to do in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of chaos. Did you know Jeremiah was afforded to never go to Babylon? Uh. uh uh, 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 Jan, I believe is his name, was the was the soldier that gave him food, gave him money, and because God told Jeremiah, He said, "Those that you fear," because He feared for His life too. He said, "They're not going to take your life. I'm going to bless you in the in the midst of this judgment, Je- Daniel. I mean, uh, Jeremiah. You don't have anything to worry about. Uh, Neb- Nebuchadnezzar was his name." He's going, to, he's going to give you money, going to give you food, and your life is yours to go and do as you want to do. He was a guard for, for uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So, and I said that to say this. God's going to take care of his people. That's Jeremiah 39, verse 1.
Verse 5, so the captain of the guard, which is Nebuchadnezzar, gave him victuals and the reward and let him go. He let him go. Why? Because Jeremiah was obedient to God and prophesied the truth. Pastor, did we lose you? Powerful stuff. I'm just going to shut up. How's that? Well, I'll tell you what, that was a... That was a, a definite period after the end of that sentence. You know, as as we sat here listening to you and and uh, being blessed with with the time, and, and as I said, things happen for a reason. Um, uh, you know, I was almost at tears on a couple of things that you said, especially with regard to our country and the people, and our churches, and and uh, being uh, uh, beyond redemption, perhaps. And so few of us, a precious few, know how how late the hour is. Which, by the way, when you, when you also mentioned that about the woman coming from the Netherlands, I've heard from people who have either registered or are registering. They're coming from uh, various states just to meet meet with you and, and to listen to the preaching, uh, the teaching, and the preaching and the word. Uh, so, so I believe God is moving, as you mentioned. God is moving in 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 our lives together, and I think tonight proved it in in a number of different ways. Just how everything kind of came together. Um, I, I, well, there's no doubt because I today when I was putting these notes together, I said to myself, "This is too long. You, you can't." I told my wife, "I said I'll never get through this in one session. We'll have to carry over till next week." And then with the way things happen, see, God made provision. Yes. And, and I think that the timing as well has everything to do with this, that your message to me as I was listening to it has a level of urgency more so than ever before. I, I don't know. That's, that's just what I feel. And um, I'm just – I'm so thankful that we have uh, – that we have you to, to kind of map this out, at least in my view, um, to help me with my Bible study. And, and that's kind of how I look at it. Because uh, what I see out there is, I don't want to say frightening, because that, that conveys a, 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 the wrong message, maybe. But um, it's disturbing. And I know how the story ends. But boy, there's a lot of real estate between now and the end of the story. Um, I know that God's got this, but there's also a measure of satanic influence and demonic influence. And we see it every single day. You mentioned about that uh, Coast Guard lieutenant um, rising up. And one thing you said, and I, I just, if I can just kind of ask you or, or just make sure I heard you right on this, Roe v. Wade being overturned, you said this earlier, being perhaps the spark of a civil war. You know what, Pastor, I, I never saw that coming, but when you said it, it kind of, it makes sense to me. Um, never saw that coming though, and, and I would. Well, I felt when the Lord gave me that verse of the day, Hosea four two, blood touching blood. Hmm. We have shed so much innocent blood. Now, people that are not innocent blood will touch that innocent blood because it's crying out for for vengeance, avenge us of our blood. See that that's huh, see that's the book of Revelation. That's 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 those that are under the altar. You see, now you can say those are those are aborted babies, or you can say whatever you want to say they are. But there are those that are asking God, "Hey God, uh, 
we, we have been slain, too. We're, we're there under the altar of God. And uh, they say, judge them and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. So God's, this is, uh, I said uh, Revelation 7, it's Revelation 6, verse 10. They cry with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So Hosea says the blood's going to touch the blood. So, you know, Abel's blood is in the earth. All these aborted babies are in the earth. And then so when they possibly overturn Roe v. Wade, the people that are for that are going to rise up and say, you're not going to do that, and it starts a civil war. And so you have the guilty blood mixing with innocent blood, blood-touching blood. Blood-touching blood. Yep. Wow. Well, Pastor, I, I want to thank you for your very, very gracious gift of time, the way it all worked out tonight. It was just amazing. This is an amazing message. And, folks, this will be up on, on YouTube um, here later tonight, uh, early tomorrow morning. Um, please share this with your friends, and please register for the Age of Deception Conference, April 4th through 7th, 2019. This is just a taste of what you'll get in person, and I know the Holy Spirit will move uh, move all of us there, and I'm so looking forward to it. Pastor, thank you so very much. God bless you. Everyone have a good week, and thank you, Joe. Thank you, Doug. Have a all good right, night. Bye-bye. Thanks, Pastor. Uh, folks, uh, what a powerful message. You know, uh, as I was listening, I was taking notes, and, and uh, as I always do, but something about this particular broadcast, something about... I don't know what it is. Folks, you out there are more intelligent and I'm sure more astute than I am, but something about this today just spoke deep in my heart and the, and how this all came about. Um, got, this is God at work, but, you know, is America even worth saving given what we're seeing here? Disobedience, disobedience rebellion causes death. The fact that we, we have or we should be at, at a level of judgment for the celebration, for example, of, uh, uh, of, of infanticide. And, and for, even for the celebration of the and, and legalization, in quotation marks, of, of something so abhorrent as, as homosexual marriage, which I, I, Coach Dave Dobmeyer was on his program saying, this is going to lead to so many other things. And it's, isn't it interesting, too? Coach Dave Dobmeyer opened the program up tonight. And he was the first out with the uh, on the on the, um, um, the the depravity of the, of the homosexual agenda and how that has gone or how that would go. And in closing, and also Coach Dave being on the forefront of of the infanticide, and then how Pastor Langford kind of um, buttoned all that up with with his sermon, as well as Dan Perkins in there too, uh, talking about. The, the host of other issues that, that that plague the United States. So all told, this is kind of a, this was kind of an unplanned, uh, seamless program, a seamless broadcast that I would urge everyone to really listen to. And it's it's a, to me it's a it's a God thing, um, as far as I I think. And and I'm not one to say that very often except when I see it. And I think this one just hit me right over the head. So folks, I want to thank each and every one of you. We want to thank each and every one of you, everyone who supports us, everyone who supports those who um, come on our program. We want to thank you. And, you know, we're in the fight of our lives as, as an entity here, the Hagman Report, personally and professionally. 
we're in the fight of our lives, as you are as well. So thank you for your support. We appreciate your, your support, financial, prayer, word of mouth. May God bless each and every one of you until tomorrow. Just hit your knees tonight and uh, thank God for the blessings he's bestowed upon you and pray for us and and uh, pray for our country. God bless. Good night. Amen.